You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 717. Don't be told something is impossible. There's always a way. Robert Rodriguez. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Well, guys, today we have a very special episode. On the show today, we have Racer Max and Rebel Rodriguez. And yes, they are the sons of the legendary filmmaker Robert Rodriguez and film producer Elizabeth Avalon. Now, Racer and Rebel and I had a I mean, amazing conversation about what it was like being raised by two master filmmakers, what it was like to be on set, but also what they've learned along the way, what they are doing differently than their predecessors have, and the amazing work that they're doing on big projects like Hypnotic, We Are Heroes, and the latest in the Spy Kids franchise, Spy Kids Armageddon. If you are a filmmaker or a screenwriter, you need to listen to this episode. It is two hours of just gold nuggets all over the place. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'd like to welcome to the show Racer Max and Rebel Rodriguez. How are you guys doing? Hey, doing great. Thanks for this. Really excited. Thank you so much for coming on the show, guys. I, I am, I as I was telling you before, obviously a lot of people who ever watch the show knows I'm a huge fan of, of your dad. Uh, and uh, But I'm also a fan of what you guys have been doing uh, with him and, and seeing you grow, literally. <laughs> <laughs> literally seeing you grow as as filmmakers, as actors, as composers, as producers, as writers. Um, it has been, it's been fascinating to see your guys' journey as well. Um, so I have to ask you, my first question is because everybody listening is going to want to know, what is it like growing up on movie sets? Like, I mean, I, you know, the first movie set I walked onto was when I was in college and that's not really a movie set. I mean, you were walking around with movie stars, you know, who you were like, oh, that's just that person. What was it like <laughs> for you two kind of growing up in this kind of environment? 
and I kind of protected environment as well because you know Elizabeth, your your, your mom's been on the show as well, and I know how protective she's been with you know to protect you from uh, the less uh, the less nice people in the industry. <laughs> for sure, for sure, yeah, she was definitely the uh, the mama curator bear. and guardian, and mama bear. The, <laughs> yeah, that made it all allowed us to have just a wonderful experience growing up. To be honest, it's a lot like growing up normally, as if your parents do any other kind of job. But uh, you don't realize till later that you're in an industry that's so different and wild and crazy to, you know, as us as kids, you're just running around playing hide and seek and you run past some crazy costume people as you're hiding under the producer's desk or uh, the accountant's desk. And and they're helping you hide while they're trying to manage an entire crazy army show that's going on. Uh, It's it's pretty much that. And and. with the cat, you know, you you meet these famous who you recognize as now famous when you grow up. But uh, to when you're a kid, that's just oh, that's just Uncle Bruce. Oh, there's a uh, <laughs> there's a uh, uh, Uncle Manicio. You can just call him Uncle Benny and all this. So you you just kind of get a normal childhood, especially with someone like our mother who's, who was very protective of us and helped ensure that it was just a wonderful experience. So yeah, that's that is what it was like growing up. So when you guys were and and, and I'll, I'll let you talk in a second, uh, Rubble. What when what was it like when you discovered? Oh, oh, this isn't normal. Uh, <laughs> like oh, oh, that Uncle Benicio just won an Oscar. Um, <laughs> yeah. For sure. yeah. Why? When you had that realization, what was that like for both of you? Like when I hit? Because I'm assuming that it at a certain point when you got older. Yeah. Yep. Go for it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was definitely all the props. You know, you kind of see as you're running past them as a kid, people like remarking on them like, oh, wow, that's this and that. And as we started to see some of the movies their dad made, I mean, obviously we didn't see them for a long time other than like Spy Kids and Sharkboy and Lava Girl and stuff. <laughs> for good reason, when you start yes. to hear people like remark on it, it's like, oh, it's like a thing. People really like, this is like a huge thing for them. Kind of like how for us, Spy Kids vehicles are like a big thing. And so, you know, the the, the electric chair from Sin City, we never quite knew what it was, but it was like, you know, that's kind of a huge that. deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had the, the uh, like, oh, there's like a great wax figure of, uh, of, um, of Bruce Willis there as Hardigan. And it always freaked us out as kids. Like, he's just kind of staring at you, but it, now you know you see the poster as adults and we're like dude that's just so iconic and cool and you know it was just as impressionable as a kid even if you didn't fully understand what it was but no yeah. that's, that's, yeah, i mean definitely sin city when you walk when you watch sin city for the first time when that first came out people don't get it there's nothing in film history that had ever been shot like that ever yeah nothing like that ever nothing yeah. ever like Super, that it was yeah it was insane man it's insane so all right so sure, let me ask you this so then when you guys first, um, so you, you know, you're growing up, Uncle Bruce, <laughs> Uncle Benicio, <laughs> all these kind of guys, um, at a certain point, you're able to watch some of your dad's early work. So what was it like watching Ed Mariachi for the very first time? Oh, man, it was really, really impressive. And what's funny is we held it off for so long. It wasn't until we were, you know, getting in the late teens, kind of at the end of high school and from then on out, you're out of school and you've got to figure out what it is that you want to do. And we had an inkling that we wanted to create and uh, be in the creative space, whether that was filmmaking or anything else. But watching that for the first time, it was just mind blowing to see how much you could step out and accomplish. And to see that it's our dad who we've known our whole lives and we love him. He's super, he's this funny, great father. But to see like 
wow, how smart and how little he had then, yet how smart he was and just how perseverant he was that with absolutely nothing, you can go and create something incredible that uh, sets off a not only a lifetime career, but at the same time, an entire wave that inspires so many people across the world for decades. And yeah, the, yeah, definitely. That, it was really just an impressive moment and really inspiring of like, oh, we're at his age. We too can go off and do something like this. And we too can conquer and accomplish just like he did. So that's really what it was the first time. How about you? Yeah, it's, it was cool. It's, uh, you know, we grew up with a lot of the wisdom that he kind of injected in the way he worked and also in like his books, like, you know, Rebel Without a Crew. Um, so we'd always kind of heard, you know, work, when you're making something, work with what you have, not with what you need and all that kind of stuff. But then when we watched it, it was cool to see like everything he's kind of told us through the years that we thought was just like dad wisdom was like, you know, how he kind of did it. And it was incredible to see it in action and see the results you get from it. It was really, really inspiring and cool. So did you, did you, either of you ever just go, ah, the old man just doesn't know what he's talking about. Like he, I know better. I mean, look, we're, I mean, I did. I mean, every, every son <laughs> does that to their dad. Well, boy, like that's the old way of doing it, dad. You don't really, we we're 19. We know life. <laughs> we know what's up. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody oh, has man. that. Yeah. And, and you know, it's kind of more sobering when you, uh, think that for a second I'm like oh yeah I'm gonna say that but then you walk past poster after poster after poster I'm like mm, maybe I'm yeah, putting man that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else he taught me to be humble and look at other people's point of views so I think I'm gonna channel that a little bit <laughs> so there have been a few very few moments of that. Yeah. Well, yeah many thoughts very few moments. many thoughts <laughs> yeah exactly that's the way to put it <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor And now back to the show. How about you? How about you, Rebel? Same thing. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, it was also another thing is we grew up right at the like the era of the Game Boy Advance and like the DS and like all the video game kind of stuff. So we're always like, man, but our video games are different. This is our kind of stuff we're into and all that. And but Spike Kids still always kind of captured out in a way to where we were like, I mean, we never thought it weird that movies could so well capture what kids were into in that era. Until you see some other things, it's like, right, it just really didn't have that. That right. that whole thing. But you still had that feeling of like, ah, I don't know, we have this in our thing, and you don't even realize all of it's inspired by, well, guess who, you know? <laughs> Him and many other filmmakers. So it's like, you know, yeah. You know, you know it's fascinating <laughs> because I, when, when Mariachi came out, I was, um, I'm only probably about five or six years younger than your dad. So I was right. in high school. Wow. Uh, I was working wow. at a video store. Wow. And that's the video behind me. That's the video store poster. That I kept oh, all wow, these years. Awesome. What, mariachi. Cool. Yeah, it says a mariachi poster. I have two, by the way. I stole two from my store. Oh, he was the only Latino filmmaker that I could even... Yeah. There, there were no Latino... I mean, there were, but there were no real out there Latino filmmakers like he was. And, yeah, um, for, sure. and, Mar and, Mar and for people, can you just explain to people from your point of view, uh, you know, from my point of view, Mariachi is that movie that you said it started, it, it launched a, an independent film revolution. People still talk about it like a myth. Like there was this, <laughs> once there was this dude who made a $7,000 movie and then he, and he, then he got to Hollywood. Like it's a, it's a mythical story that they tell in the corners of film schools around the world yeah, to this, sure. to this, to this day. Um, and I always tell people, cause this, this is something I have a, this is one of the things I, I brought the show up. I started the show up was because I wanted to tell people how to avoid um, pitfalls in the industry. 
And, you know, Robert and your mom both fell into a lot of those pitfalls along the way. And they were kind of thrust into a world that this did, you know, Robert wasn't even thinking this was going to go to the Latino Mexican film video market. It was not supposed to be the thing. But a lot of people were like, oh, you know, I'm going to make a $7,000 movie. I'm like, that's great. It's 2023. <laughs> it's a little different now. The market's a little different. The world's a little different than it was before. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to say that again and again. Like, this is not 1991 anymore. It's not 1999 anymore. It's not 2009 anymore. Yeah. It's 2023. From your point of view, how do you think the legacy of Mariachi uh, has kind of continued? And do you guys agree with me that a lot of filmmakers listening, they're like, oh, I'm going to go make it. Go make it. You know, but understand, Robert's path was Robert's, no. Yeah, yeah, people tried to re, to redo that path, like you know, yeah. or, or Quinn's path, or Kevin Smith's path, or Richard Linklater's path. It's insane. <laughs> so, from your point of view, yeah. what do you guys think? Absolutely. Uh, first off, absolutely agree and love that about uh, you and your work that you've kind of taken that ethos and have always updated it for people now of like how to take that drive that that movie and that myth inspires in people to go create and helping them adapt it to uh the current age the current era and to avoid as you said avoid pitfalls that now we have the knowledge and foresight to be able to avoid so i've always really liked that about uh about your work oh appreciate it uh but yeah what it so agree on that first off but then totally but what i've always saw from it is that he got a very specific path through what, you know, it's so many things that happened and came together all at the same time for that passion and drive and what he went through to equate to, uh, what it led to. But I always see that the thing that inspires people the most is kind of the timeless aspects of it. The idea of, uh, perseverance and creativity under restriction, intense restriction, and the attitude that, put that drive and passion into whatever it is that you love and you can create something that will turn heads that will get attention that people were will like and want to follow you for and that can inspire people you've never even met so that's why I, I always love when people outside of the film industry that read the book or heard the myth and went off to go do things that have nothing to do with film but just whether it's uh uh business or even account you've heard accounting before as well like so many different fields that were inspired by that idea. So that's what's really cool to me is that there's something you can adapt to it in modern times, but yet there's this timeless aspects almost of that myth. So. Yeah. It's a, there's a time, almost timeless aspect of that. What it really captured was that it doesn't take a budget of that huge a size to create great quality work and great quality story. And especially if you write and you work with what you have and work with the limitations you do have rather than trying to do something that's going to be outside of the your uh, scope or possibility at the moment financially you can create something that turns heads and is really like you know blockbuster remarkable level work with very little and that will that you know can do a lot and usually quality like that doesn't go unnoticed for very long so it starts to it starts to make the rounds make make waves and stuff so very it's really important part of it. Now, Rebel, uh, you did a little movie years ago when you were five um, uh, called Shark, uh, The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. And uh, I, I mean, I know how you were cast, but how did you even uh, like want to do it? Were you even thinking of acting at that point? You know, 
you know, what, how did that even, cause look, man, <laughs> one thing is to jump around the set and play around and like, Oh, uncle Bruce and all that stuff. But to be in front of the camera, be this, even for the small part that you played, I, I saw that. I was like, man, that kid's got some cojones. I mean, he's up there with, with the, with the, with the, with the, with the, the things on the, the, the scales on the side. Oh yeah. Oh, thank <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. So you have to look back a bit to spy kids, one spy kids, two. I was the, this is where it really started, was Spike Kids 1, I was the baby on the front of the magazine, uh, Carly Georgina's reading, and when, when she's in the airport, the two spies who fell in love story, that's me on there, that's where it started. Spike Kids 2, when like the Magnum Men attack at the banquet, the OSS banquet, and they're fighting the bad guys, um, one of the kids takes down one of the guys, and uh, that's my oldest brother, Rocket. The next one comes along and grabs him too. That's Racer. So the next one down the line. And then I come running out and I kick the guy in the side and that's me. And uh, I don't know. Our dad's always been a filmmaker, even outside of film. He loves taking home videos of us and stuff. Oh. We have like whole archives. Of, he just loved filming us too. He thought it was just so interesting. You know, kind of brings back the bedhead kind of days of that that short yeah. film of his. Yeah. So um, we've always just kind of been used to the idea that there's a camera like right here sometimes for whatever reason. And so it didn't feel like that big of a transition to just be like, well, it's just the other camera here at the place. And there's a bunch of people looking at you while you do something, you know, it's, they tell you everyone quiet on set, which you've heard a lot if you're running around there. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty natural. It was just, I liked the story he made and I was like, I want to be in it too. You know, cause that's how kids are. <laughs> Your brother's got it. You want it too. So <laughs> obviously, obviously did so see coming that they would put me up on wires and stuff to simulate the swimming parts and things and spray me with water and all that once i learned how hard it was and i was freezing up there and i was doing my own stunts i was there's actually even a funny moment where but they've got me up there on the wires and i'm there yelling well how come i have to do my own stunts <laughs> i mean it's like yeah so very quickly learned it's not not quite as easy as it seems but i mean it was very natural to us considering we just always kind of had a camera in front of us all the time so it's like oh well you know they just throw you into the movie and that's how it goes and it's like so, okay so, cool. you t so you're telling me that the film industry is not glamorous is that is that it's not it's don't you guys all just eat lobster at lunch all day sit around? Isn't, that, isn't that the way it works it was surprising to a five and seven year old but it wasn't glamorous <laughs> yeah exactly. so we quickly found uh, yeah exactly. so, and, and so it sounds like your, your parents were pretty much programming you since birth uh to like subtly hip, hypnotically <laughs> Looking back either. at it, I mean, a little bit to some extent, but it's like that wasn't even the attention either. <laughs> right. No, yeah. no, subtle. They're very smart, both of them. Yeah. They're just subtly. It was very like, <laughs> subtle. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they never wanted to pressure us into doing anything, which was pretty cool. But so yeah. if there was hypnotism, it was very subtle. <laughs> it was very subtle. Yeah. It was very it subtle. It was more than anything. They were excited to show us what they do. And I think that's really special, you know. That of no. course, man. Of course, like any any parent would be wanting to show, like, hey, look what I do. I just happen to make cool movies, you know, and have cool things happening around you. That's awesome. Now, I wanted to talk to you both about Red Eleven because oh, when yes. I heard about Red Eleven, and for people who don't know, please explain to me what Red Eleven is. But when I heard about Red Eleven, I was so excited. I was like, oh, oh, the goat is going back. He's gonna go back <laughs> to do it to do to do another seven thousand dollar movie. And he's bringing the boys with him. So, <laughs> so can you tell people what Red Eleven was? Absolutely, Red Eleven is one of our favorite projects. So, this myth we keep talking about, El Mariachi, made for seven thousand dollars in the nineties. 
We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. For the 25th anniversary of that movie, Robert wanted to go back and make a film for $7,000 again. No crew or one other crew member, no money. Try to do it all in one location and shoot it all in 14 days, just like he did on the original El Mariachi. And so he thought, oh, my one crew member, I'm going to bring my, my son onto this because I had just started working with him, apprenticing under him at the time uh, for Alita Battle Angel. And so he said, you want to come on and be my one other crew member so we can do this whole thing together? And while we're making it, let's make an entire documentary about how to make a film with no money. And it was super, for such a blast of an experience. We quickly brought on Rebel to both star in it so that he could be there on set to help us out. Because the only crew members we had were the cast. When they weren't on camera, they were behind camera, moving lights, moving props, closing doors for sounds. Being a flag. Just like being (laughs) being a flag to block the light. In front of a light, just like. (laughs) That's brilliant. Real real bare bones uh, film production. And so we cast Rubble and put him in, wrote, I wrote him into almost every scene so that he could always be there to help us. And then uh, Rebel went on to do the score for it as well. And uh, I'll, so that's the premise of Red 11. I'll tell you, it was, to this day, it's still my favorite film project we ever did because it's so creative. When you have nothing, all you have is your mind. You have to be creative every single day. Is, everything's falling apart. Even when you've limited so much uh, every single day things are falling apart and you have to c- come up with creative solutions, laughing at it, laughing about it with your dad and your brother and the cast, who you've quickly become friends with because you're all in the same trench together. It's really, really a sublime experience. And the most, the coolest part about it was, you know, what you see your parents as these figures that have like lived so much life and you don't feel like you could ever be put in the forced in the same situation together and see how each other act. But I thought he would be my, my dad would be my mentor on this and that, oh, he's, he knows exactly how to do all this. He's paved the way before, but it was really humbling and inspiring to him look at me and go, I don't know how we're going to do it either. Let's figure it out here. You and I, we're going to sit here. We're going to figure it out. We're going to move this, do that. So to really see him put into the same pressure, put in the same experience, that was mind blowing and is one of my favorites. Yeah. He doesn't have all the answers all the time. He finds them, and that's what he's really, really good at. So he knows how to find answers on a dime like that and create some really great stuff out of it. So, I mean, it was just cool to finally see it. It's like, how does he work when he's put under this pressure? It's like, oh, it's just like all of us too, but he's just that much. He's learned that much more about how to do it and stuff. So it's it's a skill people can develop and learn. So Yeah, it's it's, so, it's like like I call, uh, I call, I tell my daughters I have old man strength. Uh, and that that's a thing, by the way. Old man strength is a thing. I had a trainer who was talking like something. That word. Lifting, I'm lifting up more than he is. It's like, how are you doing that? You're out of shape. I'm like, <laughs> I have old man strength now. In the same tone, uh, Robert has not old man strength, but you know, he's got experience. He's got a wealth of you know. You just pick up these things, and you know, when you're on set, you've just been there before. So yeah. even though I might not know how to do it right now, oh yeah. This over yeah over here move that over there no uh, it's it's pretty remarkable uh, yeah, it's pretty yeah. remarkable to see it's cool how it fundamentally starts you all start out in the same spot we don't know how we're gonna do it and then it's just like that's what you're developing is the learning of how you're gonna do it so it's did you really cool did you guys just run and gun I mean you had some plan obviously you had a script but yeah. did you kind of show up on the day and just go all right let's set up the scene or do where there's a lot of storyboards oh. things like that no oh man it was pretty run and gun because it's funny the one uh we we kind of 
restricted it a little even a little more than mariachi because now he had all the money to make a movie with a budget but we cut out the money now we had all the crew and people we know who could do it but we cut out the crew and then it's like well i guess all we have left is time but 14 days but robert didn't even have that at this point because we were busy uh made doing visual effects for lita battle angel and writing other projects so we would just we would just pick days that we could get a few hours in and tally it up to 14 uh to 14 days and so over the course of a month month and a half we just squeezed in some hours there squeezed in some hours here so that leads to very much you're texting the cast like an hour before you get there hey we're gonna film the day we got like four hours let's go knock out this scene while we can (laughs) so people just show up and like oh gosh we don't know how we're gonna do this well let's figure it out right now because we've only got uh, what time is it? All right, let's keep going. <laughs> we got to figure. So it's a side. So it's a side hustle. It was a side hustle. It was, it was a side. It was no. a side hustle film. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Side it hustle for anything. Uh, so I mean, really run gun. I wasn't on the writing side of it, but whole scenes were rewritten because you get on set and go, "Well, we don't have this, 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 and that." Okay, well, let's just change it up to make it work with this. And it was just like nonstop. I mean, it's writing, that... writing it right there as everyone's showing up, so then you can do the scene right away. I mean, it's really. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's remarkable. And that's such a lesson for filmmakers listening because so many filmmakers, you know, they think they, they should study like Hitchcock or Scorsese or, you know, Kubrick. And, uh, you know, they like, oh, everything has to be exactly the way I have it in my mind because I'm a genius and, you know, we're all geniuses. Yeah. I mean, all of us obviously are geniuses, filmmaking <laughs> geniuses. Uh, and soon Hollywood <laughs> will see our genius. And that's how we right. think because we're all nuts. We're all absolutely <laughs> insane, the filmmaker. We're all insane. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I've seen on set where I visited other other filmmakers since that they just break down if something's not exactly the way they planned it. And and that's and I'm like, that guy's not gonna make it. He he because filmmaking isn't that. Filmmaking is even even the biggest guys who have had an opportunity to talk to many of them, some of the fam- most famous scenes in the history, I've talked to these, I've talked to some of these filmmakers and they're just like, Yeah, I didn't know this. It's on the day. <laughs> For yeah. sure. Absolutely. Or everything's planned out. Half of it falls apart, which is pretty much how it goes. You plan it all. So that way, as much of what was planned will stay there as possible. The rest is going to fall apart and you got to figure it out from there. But it's, yeah, Absolutely. it's you kind of accept it and you got to learn to roll with the punches as much as you do figure things out ahead of time. So, And, yeah. and Racer, when you started writing Rebel 11 with, uh, with your dad, you guys kind of, I think the first time I had ever heard, I'm sure it happened somewhere else in, in cinema history, but when Mariachi was written, he was just writing around the things he had already, which was such a revolutionary idea as opposed uh-huh. to like, I need to buy, I need to have a portion this scene. I need to like, do you have a portion? No, it's going to cost you for what? You have a Volkswagen. Just use the Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. so he wrote around the elements, literally like a dog, a turtle, in a Mexican town and a couple guns and that's what I had and that's how I made my yeah. movie. Can you explain the power of that in the Red 11 experience of just writing around things that you know you have access to because it does free you a lot and, and lessens the stress a bit on a stressful situation already? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we wanted to implement the exact same writing process for Red 11. And so we said, let's only take what we got and go from there. So we filmed the entire uh, film, uh, all of it, on our Troublemaker Studios, our studios here in Austin, which is two airport two uh, airport hangars, and then a bunch of hallways and offices. And we thought we will write a story that works for this uh, location, and that's all we're going to use. And so, location, we just used all that we had. Now, what Robert's got kind of in his back pocket now is, is a little more than a turtle and a bus. Now we have the whole 
storage that because we're kind of hoarders we keep all of our props and anything we've ever used in a movie before uh so we have all the guns all the gadgets all the things locked up somewhere so we pulled from there as all our props but still we only wrote around what we could get out of that uh storage room out of that locker a lot of people can get more than that from goodwill nowadays but um so we're, we're out of their dad's closet really so we came at it from the same approach and it is really freeing because it unlocks creativity in a way you can't imagine suddenly when you have just the one thing you're going to use in a scene and the one room you're going to have to use you come up with five or six more ideas than you would just kind of thinking what you would want going with what you have versus what you want it's really powerful i anybody i talk to nowadays and they want to make a whole feature film they've done shorts and whatnot and they've done it in a traditional setting i tell them okay write a feature and just go off of what you've got just trust me it's powerful the, it's, the what you want is the rep of doing the entire film from beginning to end you don't want to have to add more pressure of having to get things to ha- land to be there on time or people or places or objects like that's really freeing and uh to this pretty much on every project you'll find yourself using that same method uh, going no, forward yeah for sure yeah, it's uh, really what it does is when you're just there thinking about, I could make anything, what am I going to make? I mean, there's like a trillion different options. There's an infinite amount of options, really. And it's just, you'll end up with something that's got too many elements, too much this, too much that. By just using what you have, it streamlines it all in an instant. And it's like, you've got three things. Okay, well, now I got to write a whole story about these three things. And it's just, it really does probably one of the most important things is really streamlining what kind of an idea you have and from there a lot generates because you go well i only have this this and that how do you make a story with this this and that so and i'll i'll tell you (laughs) go ahead go ahead ahead, oh no no yeah and the process just gets a little funny on red 11 part of why it's so special because you go okay this scene only has to have a syringe this office we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show and the jackhammer that George Clooney used in Dustal Dawn. How are we going to do it? So, so it's a little unique in that. How does way. that make sense? It's just yeah, it goes from there. But. It's like a crazy Mad Libs. It's like a it's crazy it's Mad Libs. Mad Lib filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, I got inspired uh, going down the road of Mariachi and Red Eleven. My last feature, I shot exactly the same way. I said, oh, you know great. what? I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna shoot an entire movie at Sundance while the movie while the festival's going on. Uh, and wow. steal the steal the entire movie. Uh, have three actors I had never met before meet me there. I had an apartment on Main Street, and uh, had cameraman, myself, and the sound guy, and we just stole the whole thing in three days and shot an entire wow. movie in three days, and we sold it, and it made money, and <laughs> for about that's amazing. Screen. And oh yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. so much because I knew Sundance, awesome. and I'm like, and it's like it was kind of like the Mexican town because you could get yeah. a thousand locations in a couple blocks. So right, like, for sure. Dink, 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 dink. Everyone's yeah. like, how did you, how did you, did you get permission? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I shot in Sundance headquarters. I went into Sundance headquarters and wow, shot. Full. I'm like, amazing. people in my scene, I'm like, can you move? Please, I'm shooting. Can you please? <laughs> that is my amazing. Dp, oh my God. Like, my DP is like, dude, we don't have permission to be. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. The, direct, the director in me is like, you're ruining my shot. Can you please move, <laughs> sir? That's so funny. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay, I'm writing down to watch that later. That yeah, is, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'll let you guys see it. Don't worry. I'll send it to you. It was, it was, it was be so great. Much, it was it was so much fun to do. But 
you know, and I've shot other things and, you know, with bigger budgets and stuff, but that was so much fun. It was an experimental, just like, I don't care what happens with us. Three grand, let's just go and have some fun. And uh, the actors, I told the actors, I told the actors, I go, you know, I don't know what's going to, I truly, when I was on the trip back to LA at the time, I didn't know if I had a movie. Did I get enough coverage? I don't know. (laughs) But you didn't have time to see dailies. You were just like, moving go 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 yeah go 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 so then i told him like look at least you're gonna have an insane story to tell somebody in 20 years that that one time you you went to sundance and you shot a movie like that's gonna make you have still i'll give you stories because i can't pay you a whole lot so i'll give you <laughs> stories and it worked that's <laughs> so, right that is amazing <laughs> that's incredible oh my god so, um, that's yeah that is the best that is the best extrapolation of uh, mariachi filmmaking I've ever yeah. heard. <laughs> yeah, incredible. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so, oh, all right. So, uh, on Red Eleven, what was the biggest challenge for you guys? You know, just because there's challenges every day, every second Absolutely. of every day. But what was the time that you were just like, "How are we going to get out of this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It felt like there was, <laughs> oh man, it felt like each day I had an existential threat like that. Oh man. <laughs> like, oh, we might not be able to finish this project ever. Uh-oh. Really? Uh, it felt like every day I had a, something like that. It's weird. I can't really pinpoint one problem, but rather that the very first time that we had our plan, we had our script and we got to set and it was a scene with, gosh, what do you want to say like 20 actors in it? Uh... And so much had to ride on what we had written, but then none of it could because uh, the set was off and then a part of the studio broke down so we couldn't use it. Uh, some of the cast, main cast couldn't be there. And we thought, oh my gosh. And I was just thinking, how the heck are we going to fix this? Uh, again, running into that moment of having to be creative. Uh, the biggest problem was right after or, uh, my dad tells me, oh, well, we're, guess we're just going to figure it out. Like what ran through my mind beyond that, after that, that was definitely the biggest problem. But then realizing that every single problem after that, no matter what it was, whether it was the hangar we were in was not soundproof. So it decided to Texas rainstorm on our finale scene that includes a lot of dialogue all over that hangar. So none of the dialogues usable, whether it was that or missing cast members or just completely losing an entire vehicle that we had set up. Um, none of that. Like none of that is bigger or all of that is just an extension of the same problem of we're going to figure it out. We're going to get everybody in a room in a, the quietest room and we're going to re-record all the lines we just did, hoping that they match up to what we just filmed over there in the rainy hangar. Um, and it does like magic. So that's so that's funny that that would is what I would say is the biggest problem is the recurring one that you learn to go with the flow with and by the end of the production, you laugh the most of those and you're like, those were the most fun, really, when we were all put in the same corner. And had to punch our way out. That those are the most fun. Those are the stories, as you said. Those become the stories. <laughs> Don't forget that stuff. So that, that's remar- that's yeah. remarkable. I mean, and one thing I, I noticed about Red Eleven is that you guys used a lot of practical effects because uh, you just didn't have the budget to do anything else, really. <laughs> so, can you talk a little bit about the power of practical effects? Just just the phone, the telekinetic phone <laughs> on the on the little on that little table. Which is such an easy practice. I mean, it when because I saw the behind the scenes. By the way, everyone listening have to watch Rebel Without a Crew, uh, the show, but also the behind the scenes of Red Eleven because it is a film school and then some. Um, but the 
the phone moving with the magnet. I'm like, it's so when you when you show it to you, it's super simple. But <laughs> if now you're like using wires or something, it was such yeah. a beautiful way. Can you talk about the power of practical effects, where so many filmmakers just want to lean on computer effects, oh, where absolutely. practical effects? I mean, look at Nolan; he's doing okay. You know, he's doing okay with the practical effect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <So. laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah, the that the Red Eleven was really I'm coming. Right off of Alita Battle Angel, which was right. the most visual effects we've ever used. So we didn't have entire characters that didn't exist until we put them in digitally later. Uh, coming off of that, it was a re- shell shock. We got the bends definitely on Red 11, but it's so much more fun and so much more immediately gratifying on camera when you get a practical effect working. And you see it and you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're getting away with this. Look how Look how dumb this looks when you look two feet this way but in the lens it looks incredible look at that i'm totally fooled practical effects i've really come to appreciate and go that's the magic most timeless aspects of uh of filmmaking you know when we when we see the the predator and we see oh my gosh look how much that suit and that face and that creature still holds up this day where it still feels just as real just as like slimy and tactile as it did when it released in what 84 87 whatever it was mm-hmm. um like that to, to me practical effects are the most timeless aspects of film and i want to incorporate a lot more into live action filmmaking and see a lot more of it because it's as i say that's the real movie magic right there no but uh the most imp- i was added the most important thing of a practical effects is that you can write is that you can make it mean a lot more than what it is the simple two dollar trick it is because you can write a story around it you can uh make it meaningful through the story you can bring it back multiple times you can uh make the same trick mean something and just then thus stick with the audience so that's really what i see the power of practical effects how about you yeah again if you work with what you have that phone trick is actually a very important story moment. It's like that's literally dragging a phone on a string or with a magnet is an important story thing. And it's like that's how you have to approach writing and approach creating as well because you just get you get a lot more mileage out of what little you have. And it's really, really cool. Well, I mean, I when I um, when I saw, I think it was Once Upon a Time in Mexico was the introduction of the guacamole gun for me. I remember the guacamole gun for the first time. If you guys have not heard about the guacamole gun, I have an entire tutorial on it on YouTube of how I built my guacamole gun um, back in the day because my friend and I were making our first short film and we're like, we need to blow this girl's head off. Like, how are we going to blow this girl's head off? And we built a, we, we just cobbled together Air, air, what is it? Air compressor gun yeah, and, uh-huh, yeah. and the PVC pipe. We did multiple, like, ex- at first it was like someone was peeing on you. It's not enough pressure. And like, we got to put it like, what's brain matter? Like, it was so much fun. But that, that's a practical, we use a ton of practical effects on my, one of those first uh, films I made because it was cheap. And we had a lot of visual effects too, but the practical effects sell so yeah. much easier and it's done. No rendering. Absolutely. <laughs> no crashes, no nothing. But if, uh, the guacamole gun, man, that's... Yeah. <laughs> the way it's hilarious. Yeah. The way it looks when you film it is how it's going to look in the final movie. It's like, it just, <laughs> you got it, you got it. There's no, well, and, let's hope we have enough money to make it look good. It's like, well, if it looks great here, you're going to be fine, honestly. So, and, I, and I'm a big proponent of combining practical and visual. Because absolutely. if you have a base of practical, like in that, that headshot that we did in that movie... I had my VFX guy just throw a couple more splatters out off of yeah. it. But if it would have been just the the VFX, 
it, you wouldn't have sold it. It's just we didn't have the technology in 2004. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. To really make blood hits that really uh-huh. sung. So Absolutely. adding those little things, or fire, if you do fire, like yep. fire still is rough. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Visual it's still rough. Yeah, it's yeah. still difficult. It, it's it's hard to fake fake out the human eye. Uh, well, I mean, if you remember um, The Rock, remember the movie The Rock? Yeah. Uh, now, uh-huh. That there was an explosion of the 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 the, the car, not the car, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the the, the yeah. table car that blows up. You can see the visual effect flame that they kind of wrapped around it as it blew up, yeah. while the bottom was all real. And I'm yep. like, man, God. Uh, <laughs> but that's yeah, only trained eyes can say that. Only, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Only a cinephiles <laughs> will notice that for stuff. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But it has a subtle effect too, even to people who don't catch it. It's a subconscious effect of like, this isn't entirely real. And it loses gravity as a result. So, Oh no, my wife, I mean, if she was not in the film industry whatsoever. And when she's, you know, been together for nearly 20 years, now we'll watch a movie. She's like, that green screen composite was really bad. <laughs> and I'm like, sure. really? And she's like, yeah, just the compositing wasn't really good. I mean, didn't they have this a Marvel movie? Didn't they have the money <laughs> to clean that up a little bit? I'm like, wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Audiences are really. savvy now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, audiences. But I've heard so kids. I've heard so many kids. <laughs> really, kids are like, kids go. Was... CG was bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't like it. Bad CG. But wow, that's something. <laughs> because now, as opposed to when Mariachi came out, there was. No information. There was just no information. Trust me, I looked. Other than the Raiders of the Lost Ark stunt spectacular VHS behind right. the scenes of or some <laughs> behind the scenes of Star Wars, there really wasn't a lot of behind the scenes. So it was still kind of a mystery. And that's when all these DVDs that Robert put out with really practical, you know, stuff was you started. That was the beginning, I think, of that kind of behind the scenes access and then right, down, YouTube right? show yeah. Yeah, and the YouTube's now everybody, you know, could do anything. But back then for people that listen who don't understand or of a certain age, they don't, they don't understand how difficult it was back then to, to even begin to do what, what they did on Mariachi or, or Desperado or from Dust Till Dawn or any of the films that he did during that, that era. Um, but it was a, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah it's CG. I, <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I forget to think about that point, but yeah, and for it was almost CG and all that was movie magic back then because nobody knew how it works. But now there was this, there was a show called kids. Movie Magic. There was a show called <laughs> Movie Magic, and you would watch. It was a thirty minute like behind the scenes of Terminator Two, well, you know uh, those uh, kind of things, and you were just like, "That's great." I don't have James Cameron money, so yeah, and it's, it's nice. But that's why when when you know Desperado and and from Dustle Dawn's documentary and behind the scenes of Mariachi, it was the first time you're like, I, I think I could build a guacamole gun. I think <laughs> yeah. I think uh-huh. I can I can do that. So it's this inspirational uh, way of looking at filmmaking. It's yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so with with Red Eleven, um, Rebel, what was it like composing? Um, with it. I mean, because again, that's another thing that your dad did. He's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to start writing music for the hell of it. And, he, and, like, <laughs> and yeah. I remember that. I'm like, wow, but dude, calm down. Robert, <laughs> calm the hell down. What's wrong? Come on. <laughs> Steady cam, craft service. I mean, stunts. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. No, he, so, so, <laughs> he would just be like, yeah, you know, I think I want to try that. Yeah. I, I want the music to be like this. I'll just do it. And it's like, wow, okay. I mean, you, it's, 
you forget how revolutionary that is. Like the, the right, no director. Who, which director was writing and editing? Then which director was writing, editing, and doing music, and then also doing cinematography, and then I mean, it, all that stuff. It's really Carp Carpenter is the only one that I know of that did music for his own movies, but he uh, still didn't do everything else. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's crazy. Exactly. So it's, <laughs> it's it's really special. But uh, the thing he always that's always been the way he's like wanted to teach us is if okay if you want to get into movies and stuff. I'm just going to throw you in onto something you don't know how to do all entirely. And you're going to learn while you're doing it pretty much. So Racer was his only other crewmate. He had to do all the sound. He had never done sound before. And so I, never... I know the feeling, brother. I know yeah. the feeling. <laughs> I had sound. Even though I could afford it, I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm never doing sound again. <laughs> again. <laughs> I'm sure you learned real quick, though. In like what a good, dealer, what a good yeah. sound, what a good sound guy is, and why he's valuable or she's valuable on set. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My next, film, yeah. my next film, I had a sound guy. I'm like, oh god, everything's yeah. so good. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know it's getting a budget next time. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my god, For that's sure. crazy. That's yeah. Crazy. So it was. Uh, I mean, I was writing a little bit of music at home. I was always been playing piano since I was a kid, and I stopped high school, stopped taking piano lessons, and I was like, I want to do something with music, and somehow. All those years that never quite dawned on me. Oh, right. My dad makes movies. I could write music for movies, right? They have stories and you can write some music. I mean, like, took me that long, by the way. But I was like, you know, that would be cool. So it, I'd been writing a little bit on throughout the year before. And I wrote like 15 minutes of music for a VR short um, Robert and Racer did called The Limit. That was like my first scoring project. And then from there, he was like, well, now you just write all feature, you know, it's just just a little extra. You just got to write longer and more stuff. And I was like, okay. And I was on my laptop on Logic, just Logic, yeah, making stuff. Yeah, it was like <laughs> nice. after writing after writing on GarageBand for most of the time. I mean, I started just like with nothing and just, just like <laughs> with a little keyboard. And I was like, all right, well, we got to figure this out. And it was probably one of the most stressful experiences ever. But it was really, really fun and special to start looking at the movie and go. Right. I guess this is when you would do a character theme and stuff like here. You can play a theme for a character and build that up across. And you start getting understanding. Even if your tools are really small, you start learning the thinking and the methodology behind it a little bit more. So and appreciate like when something times up well and all that. So I it taught me a sense of pacing. At least I kind of learned when I wrote a scene, I was like, that's in pace. That, that wasn't paced well to the scene. It felt weird. <laughs> and then when it actually did work or not. But. Can, no, can no. we just say, can we say something publicly here that your father's insane? Let's just throw that out there. I mean, as a general <laughs> statement, he, he, the insanity of trying to make mariachi, it's insane at a time yeah. that nobody was made. And that insanity has kept going throughout his career. He's been insane <laughs> in the most beautiful, wonderful way. Insane Absolutely. to like, hey, Rebel, you've never done it. Just come over here. Yeah. <laughs> Figure it out. Like that's pretty much on, on, you know, on like, you know, small budget films first, but then, you know, then you're like thrown into the deep end of the water yeah. with some bigger budget stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, you want to learn? You. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you want to learn how to swim? I'm going to throw you out into the ocean. And once you're like coughing up along the water, I'll fish you back out. That's how you're going to learn. It's like, you that's right. Shark boy. shark boy, get out there. Shark boy. <laughs> yeah. You're going to do your own stunts. Get out there. I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty much always been that. And with uh, shark swim. Yeah, that's exactly. what it's swimming. Exactly. But it's a, yeah. we all have to, but we all have to be kind of insane to even be in this business. This is an insane. Oh, we're like, this is carny. We're all carnies. And this is the circus. <laughs> I mean, our carnival. We're all carnies. We all smell of cabbage uh, and have small hands. <laughs> um, <not so> <laughs>
Yeah. But uh, absolutely. But it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's right. true. It's true. And uh, right. I think one of the most important lessons it's taught us every time it's happened, you've had to do it where you're like, I have no clue what I'm doing. You know, you just feel like, and in this one, even though the budget was small, I had seen all the work we had done. And I was like, I'm going to score all that work. And if it sucks, I like, you know, drop the ball right after everyone else put in all this effort. So it is a lot. But um, the most important thing it taught me is you're really not ever going to be ready. It's like you have to, you're not always you're never going to be fully comfortable. I can do this and then dive into it. You're always going to have that. I don't know if I can do this. I I'm almost there, but I don't know. That's when you got to start is you'll become ready as you're doing it and you learn a lot more actually doing it you know when you actually have to when the boat has to actually hold water you'll learn a lot more of what actually works what doesn't work so you do have to be right you know put yourself out there and actually be willing to fail sometimes you know don't write don't make your first movie feature when you you know you can do it it's like you're not going to feel like you know you're ready at all you know maybe you've done some shorts maybe you've done some this you just got to dive in there and do it basically so would you agree that the one of the biggest the biggest skill sets any filmmaker at any level any crew person anything is the ability to understand and accept failure as far as part of the process and not to like that let that derail you you just have to kind of keep going because that is a skill set that most people don't have let alone filmmakers yeah. don't have that yeah. ability to fail um and it seems like you know what your your father and your mother have taught you throughout your career is failure is okay you know hey yeah. everyone has everyone goes yeah. up and down and exactly sometimes you have a good movie sometimes you have eh, i like the uh -huh. movie but the audience didn't like the movie didn't do well in the box office didn't do this or that exactly. or oh my god how the hell did that happen like <laughs> all of it all yeah. of it but but failures is a big deal can you talk a little bit about that from your experience yes yeah no that is totally it i mean he says you learn so much more from your failures than your successes and i mean he's shown it all throughout his career you know four rooms was didn't do all that great but right what he saw was hey it's actually pretty funny to have these two little kids here who like get into all this trouble they barely even tie their own sho their shoes and they're like doing all this stuff how about like they're spies or something that's where that came from so you know we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show from his failure came by kids, which ended up being a humongous thing. So he's always been excited to just jump in and trip and fail because he knows you'll, you know, when you stumble, when you go down that path that no one's ever gone where you have, you're not comfortable with, you'll stumble, but you also stumble upon new things. You'll stumble upon great new ideas for stuff. And yeah, it's, I don't think you're ever going to fully appreciate that you have more to learn unless you've seen you have things to work on, basically. So it's almost like you're guaranteed. It's not like I, it was a, it's not like it was a home run making the Red 11 score. I had things that I was like, that really didn't work out. This wasn't that. But instantly <laughs> from there, I was like, that's what I need to get better at. That's what's, you know, this is really important. I never would have probably realized that unless I actually scored a movie and seen this works, this doesn't work, that, all that. So it's really, um, yeah, it teaches you to accept failure pretty quick. <laughs> so, how about you? How about you I, I absolutely, yeah, absolutely agree. It's one of the most important skill sets that anyone can have. And I can point a lot to what makes you averse to failure because uh, we felt it, you know, whether you're the son of anybody important or whether you're just comparing yourself to somebody that you're not like any of the other great filmmakers because we watch all these great movies and you want to be like them. But the most important, you're, and you're going to see only your failures and you're not going to look at any of theirs. 
Um, right. and you're going to, yeah, <laughs> right. or what, or what you, what they consider their failure, you consider their greatest work. Cause so, you know, you're blind to other people's failures and, you know, you can compare yourself to like, ah, oh, man, I'm the age he made a mariachi and he did all that by himself. And like, I haven't done anything. Uh-huh. I haven't made a film all by myself like that too. And it's like, this is, and his made such a big splash, but like, I haven't made anything like that, but you know. Comparing to others makes you so averse to failure because that's one of the biggest drivers of why you don't want to fail. But you just got to fail. You just got to go at it and fail and compare yourself only with yourself, really. So as Revel just said, you know, okay, wasn't a score wasn't a slam dunk, but I know where I can do better next time. So I'm going to try. I know I'm going to make that better for myself and for the audience next time. That's what I want to do. So, you know, it's and, and when you're saying that, the first thing that came into my mind is as filmmakers of, of my generation, first thing you think of is when you hit 23, you go, Orson Welles made Citizen Kane at 23. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I haven't done crap. And you're like, but it's okay. It's okay. Then it hit 27. You're like, Spielberg made Jaws at 27. Oh, God. So then you keep moving. He's like, I wonder Quentin, Quentin make Reservoir like at what, 30 or something like yeah. that? Like, and you keep pushing, you keep uh, pushing. Terminator, 30. Like, and then oh, now you're like, Ridley Scott didn't make his first film till 40. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just keep trying to make yeah. yourself feel better. You're like, oh, uh, at a certain, by the way, that's when I made my first feature at 40. <laughs> wow. Like, wow. I, 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 I got, uh, I, that's a whole other story of why I didn't do it before, but I did a lot of other directing and other things like that. But you start going, you're like, oh, okay. But, if you do compare yourself to these quote unquote gods, and that's another thing that a lot of filmmakers do, they put these filmmakers up on pedestals. I mean, look, I have a Stanley Kubrick behind, <laughs> uh, autograph book behind me, then I got Hitchcock right next to it. You know, I mean, wow. although I have, I have books from all my favorite filmmakers behind me, um, it, you know, you do put them up on a pedestal. But one of the great honors and privileges of my life doing this show is I get to talk to some of these sometimes, these guys. These gods. Yeah. And then I start to realize, I realized a long time ago when I did the first shows, I was like, they all have the same issues. They all have, they don't have enough money. They don't have enough time. They, they all, I always tell people, you're going to, no matter who you are in this business, you're going to get punched in the face. <laughs> At every Spielberg still gets punched in the face. Not as much as he used to. You know, Robert, I'm sure still gets punched in the face sideswiped like oh i didn't see that coming you know from Absolutely. the business or something like that the difference is that now as you get older you start to learn how to duck a little bit <laughs> you know and sometimes it just grazes you and sometimes you're not even there when the punch is thrown because you've been around a little bit longer but no but no matter who you are you're gonna go through the, it is the great equalizer filmmaking mm-hmm. no matter who you are no matter how much money you have you could have look at cameron jesus look at look what james is doing you know, I mean, he has all yeah. the money in the world. To it's the only filmmaker who does that, by the way. It's people, people are like, who do you think could have made Avatar? Only James Cameron. No, only James Cameron. Absolutely, they're not giving. They're not giving that to Spielberg, to Nolan, to Fincher, to to Robert, to no no one else is getting half a billion dollars to like. I might make a movie in a few years. <laughs> absolutely, it's just it's insane, yeah. right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's insane. But it, but no matter how much money you have, there's every day there's a problem because it's mm-hmm. part of the, the artistic process. So, um, so you you brought up four rooms. By the way, my favorite four rooms, obviously, is Roberts because it was the most fun, and uh, that yeah. was the, that was the moment that you started to see the shift into the family stuff. Because before that, it was stuff that you guys could watch, yeah. um, and then <laughs> Five Kids came out. 
And I want to impress on people what Spy Kids means to so many people around the world. Spy Kids is one of those franchises. In the first film, there had never been anything like that again, Robert. Nothing had ever <laughs> been made like that with Latino Latino uh, people. I always said this because I'm Latino. Um, I'm of Cuban descent. And I'd never seen myself portrayed in a movie like that before. But anytime I do, it was always like, hi, I'm Latino. Let me eat my taco. And I'm like, we're not talking. Like, <laughs> it was sure. so on the nose right. where it was never mentioned in Spy Kids. It was just, no. they're just people having an adventure. And I think that was another one of those points that inspired other filmmakers to bring in other cultures and not point out like, there's the black guy, there's the Asian yeah. guy. There's a, mm -hmm. It's like, no, let's just, it's a story. And it opened up. Spy Kids was one of the first times I saw that in the Latino culture. And, you know, when I when my kids were old enough, I showed them Spy Kids and they just like gobbled up the first four. <laughs> like oh, they were just man, like, oh great. my God. Because it's like, <laughs> that's great. Oh. kids will always watch a movie or a story that gives kids power. Mm -hmm. It that's it's a give. Anytime there's kids in power making adults look like idiots, done. It's a hit. It's a hit. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? You're very right. The motto of Spike Kids is make kids feel powerful, make kids feel cool. That's right, the, exactly. And then we are heroes. And then you did yeah. that with uh We Are Heroes as well. Yep. So yeah. what was your experience when you guys first saw Spy Kids? And because you were on it, you were shooting. Uh, tell me what your experience was making it. Because I know you were, how old were you guys when Spy Kids? <laughs> so it's I was. vague for me, but yeah. You know, <laughs> it, yeah, your level was two when it first came out. So I was, okay. I was four when the first one came out. And that was, imagine you, you're from like zero to four years old. You don't, you kind of know that your parents do something, that they do work. This thing called job, they've got one, but you don't know what it is. You see dad go off to this office that's attached to the house and he goes, he goes off and he disappears all day. And he's doing something. And no matter how many times he comes home to tell you that he's making a movie, you don't, you don't like get it. You don't really understand until you're sitting in a, you're sitting in a car service riding to this movie theater where now there's instead of a quiet Tuesday afternoon, there's thousands of kids and families gathered outside of this theater. And you're like, Oh, there's a, there's a carpet. There's like, wait, we're, why are we walking down this? Why are we dressed so nice to go to this movie theater? And then you sit in the theater, you watch this mind-blowing movie called Spike It's One. And end credits come on and both your mom and dad's names come out at the end. And you're like, what? Okay, wait. And like, wait, all these other crew people who I've met and I know their names too? This is crazy. Wait, you all make movies? <laughs> you made this? Yeah. That's <laughs> my on dad you. and mom? Yeah. People who it, like raising me lots. Yeah. yeah. It really <laughs> takes. Yeah, you made exactly. me pancakes yesterday morning. Like, what? It? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it really takes him showing you the props afterwards and going, look, here he is. Here's the jet pack. Here's the buddy pack. Here's the thumb thumb. We made these. They're on the movie. It's like, it takes that much for you to finally go, oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. So, oh my kids! So, my kids st still don't understand what I do. They're like, you're <laughs> on, sure. like you're on YouTube, but you also make movies. And then, can we watch your movies? No, you're not old enough for the movies I made. Yeah, yeah. They're like, okay, so but you're on YouTube. Do you have followers? People following you? You have subscribers? <laughs> you? I'm like, yeah. And then I got no, I got recognized a couple times in public, which is oh crazy, my gosh. crazy yeah. with uh -huh. them, and they're just like. 
what what why did that and then <laughs> it's the thumb it's like showing you the jetpack and like somebody else's it's 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 remarkable the <laughs> The 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 the, the, the veil. realization the the veil that we have as as kids to what our parents did, yeah. and and you just like you need to be hit over the head for you to go oh, <laughs> oh yeah. they make movies oh because he's telling those movies and here we are making home movies and we're like well he just kind of like learned everyone makes breakfast. Home yeah movies. exactly <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It's not like you thought. You're like, oh, we're of course yeah. everyone makes movies. Like, yeah. so, hit, yeah. hit over the head with it for sure. That's good. Yeah. Word. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's and you know when you see it like that, and then you're a part of the next, all the next ones. You know, it makes a lasting impact on you too. You know, we joke that our family is the biggest fans, the biggest geeks of Spy Kids ever. Yeah. We geek out the most over all the props and vehicles and actors and anything. That's amazing. <laughs> but, but yeah, so it's it's not just the impact that on us. It's like not a stretch at all to see how much it's impacted people, you know, across the world and how much they remember it and love it and have so, such fond memories of it. And, and and for people listening, when Spy Kids One came out, it it was a massive hit. Like it was, it was a massive hit. Like <laughs> the biggest hit your parents ever had. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It was in McDonald Toys. I remember yeah. McDonald Toys. There was a there was a a, a, a a thing with McDonald's that I was like, yep. this was huge. It was it was, huge. It, was it was huge. And I'm like, yeah. hey, maybe we should do some more of this kid stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there is pretty cool. In the kitchen, there is still a little Ralph. I'm there's a little Ralph toy about this big just sitting up on one of the ledges. And he fell really? one day and I got a picture of him. I was like, man, it took that long for him to finally fall down. I got a picture of him. I put him right back up there. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> back on your pedestal, I, King. And I was a kid just staring at him up there. Like, when can I play with him? <laughs> he was just, he, they knew we'd lose him as a kid. But so he just stayed up there. It's like, no, no, he's spying. He's just. <laughs> he's it's crazy how pervasive it was everywhere. I mean, it just and it was just so, so impactful, too. So, yeah. And, and, and you like you said, one... nothing like that. I mean, it's just. No, nothing like that. And you know what was really fascinating to me too is that with Spy Kids, uh, your parents didn't fall into the same trap that so many Hollywood filmmakers get into was when they have a big hit, the studios show up and like, here's more money. Take a lot more money and just double the budget and just do whatever you want. And they said, no, we're going to do the exact same budget and it'll be fine. And it's and that's such a smart move. It's such a brilliant move because yeah. you get intoxicated with money being thrown at the success you, and that, yeah. the success. And they said, "No, no, no, we're good. Give us the same. We'll make another one." And yeah. it was so brilliant because if that's not as big of a hit, it's okay. But if they would have taken a hundred thousand, they could have easily got a hundred million dollar budget for the next one, absolutely yeah. comfortably, and it would not have been a good business move. So it, that's another lesson, you know, for all of us who will eventually have the spy kids kind of uh fame and <laughs> success. Remember, don't take the hundred million when they offer to you boys. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, I, that was a really good observation. I'd never thought of uh I'd never thought about that. Not once so you mentioned it today, but I Oh good. It, I really agree with you. Yeah. That's I know just another side of their <laughs> genius, you know, the how well, Smart they were and how thoughtful 
about filmmaking and how much they can make, how much what right. they can accomplish. Yeah, and it's and it is a lesson that can be a pro, you know we were joking about the hundred million dollars, but <laughs> but when that you applies have, anywhere, if you have some success anywhere, don't get intoxicated by it. Understand that this is a moment; it will pass, and you can be right down at the bottom again, real quick. Real quick, <laughs> how many filmmakers? How many wonderful filmmakers have we seen who rose, rose, rose? Got a little too intoxicated, went a little crazy, bombed, and they get thrown into director jail. And you don't yeah. see them again. And sometimes you don't see them again ever again. And it's such a shame yeah. where it, you know that happens. And again, it happens in any of your successes in any field, anywhere you go. Don't get intoxicated by it because it was the one thing that people, and that's the one thing I think your parents never really fell into was the, you're the greatest. Oh my God, you're this, you're that. Uh, here's more money. Here's it. They just really grounded, really, yeah. really grounded the entire the entire time they've been making movies. It has been you could see it in the in in the filmography. You know, Sin City, huge, monumental yeah. filmmakers that are legendary were like, how did you do this? You know, and yet, cool, cool, <laughs> very, very <laughs> level headed. Throughout the rest of you know moving forward, it's 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 pretty admirable to see um, yeah. film a filmmaker and and uh, like your parents, both of the filmmakers, stay grounded during this whole process, mm-hmm. and then keeping you guys grounded. I mean, you guys are an example of this groundedness because you guys could have. E- I mean, I've 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 met some Hollywood quote unquote Hollywood kids, uh, and <laughs> it's it's it's. I'm sure you have too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it it's it's a it's a it's a Brutal business, guys. It's a mm-hmm. brutal business could, no. that could eat up somebody and tear them apart and destroy them like that. Would you agree? I completely agree. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I've always appreciated that groundedness they applied, you know, to their careers that they applied to raising us and in even raising us in the same industry and bringing and now teaching us and training us in the same industry. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. That's uh that's a really cool observation. Thank you for that about that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So now there's this fifth install because you guys can't stop making spy kids. <laughs> you can't stop. I mean, it's just like just it's back to the horse we go. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was really we, excited. We, we had other people tell us that these are like Bond movies. Like this is such right, a universal just, tale. Just keep bringing it back every forever. once in a while. <laughs> and just new cast. We'll bring Daniel Craig in. We'll bring Chris Brosnan in. It'll be great. It'll be great. No, these Absolutely. these could arguably keep. I mean, you guys can. You know, you know, when when Robert and Elizabeth are both, you know, completely retired from making stuff, you guys are like, we're going to keep going. And you could be the Pacholis, like in Spike. They just keep going. <laughs> the Broccoli family. The Broccoli family. Yep, yep. It just keeps going. And we have to we have to bring in some new Spike kids. Um, it could easily keep going. I mean, it's it. By the way, is Spike kids Armageddon the beginning of a new trilogy that you guys are trying that's, to make? That is that's the that's the idea is we we got new kids that we really love a new family new parents that we really love and we just love seeing them together and their energy and the first thing everybody sees when they like any of the crew or the producers anybody got to see them on set they're like oh my gosh i want to see so much more they have so much fun and so much energy so that was the idea we we just made it a little standalone reboot on its own that was its kind of the vision going in but seeing it on camera you go oh my gosh i want to keep watching this i want to see more so right. just like with Spike Kids 1, everybody want to see those kids some more. So 
Right. And now they're like my age, those kids. I mean, <laughs> having kids of their own. Yeah. Having kids of their own and, and all that, you know. Uh -huh. And then you see one of them in Machete, you're like, wow, okay. Uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, all right. Yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's fascinating. But so, all right, so talk to a little bit about Spy Kids Armageddon. Uh, I know there was, I know Netflix finally got the rights to help you you know, make the sequels and they love what you guys did with, I think we are heroes, right? Are we are heroes or we are champions? Oh, uh, we can be heroes, yeah. We can be heroes, yeah. We can be heroes, yeah. which by the way, loved as well. Such a beautiful story, beautiful film. Oh, My kids you. like watched it a ton of times, you oh, know. Oh, that's great. It's, yeah, and the little behind the scenes that they made with you guys uh, oh. on YouTube and stuff like that was so much fun to watch what you guys were doing. And then my kids were like, I want a pen and an iPad. I'm like, oh, Jesus <laughs> oh no right, right. thanks oh, no. thanks guys thanks, thanks Robert. Robert thanks Robert and Elizabeth I appreciate that thanks <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how, how this this story came about how you guys came at this new this new installment yeah it's, it's perfect that you mentioned we can be heroes because we had just just finished making that and uh, we loved it we had such a great time getting to do kids a kids film again and uh, getting to write that was fun. Getting to make it was fun. And so uh, Robert and I were just joking around like, oh, could you imagine what if we do another Spy Kids? That could be really fun, right? Yeah, let's do something like that. And uh, Robert does what he does best. We He starts talking to people about it immediately. And it was uh, Skydance that was really interested. And it, they said, we would love to do Spy Kids. And Robert and I were laughing from the studio that brings you Mission Impossible comes Spy Kids. Kids. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> super, we, we laughed at the idea. And we did a writing process that we've been doing since I was seven. And we did Shark Boy and Lava Girl together. Is we jump in the pool and have a little notepad next to the pool. And just swim around and talk ideas. Laugh about things. Make jokes. Talk about it. And pretty much in that, uh, in that pool session, we came up with a lot of the major ideas of the start of the film, including the idea that then that, uh, in that making of, or, or in the behind the scenes of we can hear as mentioned the idea of give kids technology, like don't hold them back to what, uh, whatever you did when you were going up or growing up or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Give them the best. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So that they can go further than you and they will go up leaps and bounds. So try not to hold them to any restrictions you had. Uh, see what's available now. See what can help them and give that to them. So we loved that. And we were just we were just talking about it in the making of. And we thought, yeah, what if we made the whole story about that with Spy Kids and Rebel worded it greatly. Go for it, Rebel. The, the idea what that you worded it greatly. The idea that. Uh, giving kids technology and how, how that was a huge part of this one. Oh yeah. 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 It was interesting. It kind of all came together because we loved this, you know, it's technology's kind of gone a bad rap to some extent, you know, of like, it's all bad. Books are better. And so we were like, how about we have a movie where it's the opposite and the book, the book can be just as bad as the technology can be just as good and vice versa. You know, it's less about the tool and more about the teaching. What are they learning? You know, what are you learning? What values are you kind of uh, learning from that? But that kind of came together with an idea of like, you know, it'd be really cool to have a, uh, to do a Spy Kids where, is there any way we could make the whole world change to where suddenly kids have like a unique advantage over adults in some way? Like just mm. conceptually, is there any way to do that? And we're like, you know, what if like, 
the only way to access technology in the world was through like video games since kids have gotten so adept at this and technology in general that they completely outpace their parents and stuff and that their own things. It's like so if the let's have a flipped, yeah. and if that's like the inciting event, now suddenly the kids are super spies and everyone else is struggling. So it's like now they're really like the only people that can like save the world. That's so that's awesome. so that was like where the concept really started. But yeah, uh, so kind of the core idea came to that. Yeah, let's have a bad guy who's a, a villain who's a video game designer and he infects the whole world with a video game virus and nobody can get to their devices except the kids can because they're smart and they're savvy with technology and games. So they go leaps ahead of the parents and uh, within the course of a few days become super spies and are now having to go save the world and take on all the responsibility of that. And so a lot of the core ideas really came to that writing session and yeah, from there took off. We just started writing, creating it uh, over the course of 2020, 2021. And yeah, that was the birth of the new one, Spike is Armageddon. I, I feel that it's going to do well, sir. <laughs> Thank you. I feel that the kids are going to really, like my girls are like excited to see it. Oh, um, that's great. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so admirable to see how you guys have continued that, that franchise. And I hope, because, you know, even when I saw the, the trailer, I haven't seen the movie yet because we haven't had, had access to it yet, but soon, soon we're seeing uh, hopefully next week. Yep, um, uh -huh. But, um, but even the trailer kind of, I, that's why I asked, is this a trilogy? Like I saw it, I saw where this was going. I was like, oh, this is not, they're making another trilogy out of this. This is <laughs> solid, solid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's that's, really special. That was kind of the intention of like, you know, you know, I, I get the feeling of like Spike hits five, you know, usually when something gets to the fifth, it's like, ah, I don't know what's going on anymore, but we really were like we really only wanted to do it if there was really a story we could tell that's different from the old ones but has the same values and stuff so that's where we kind of saw the opportunity of like right there's almost a modern take on this now that it's been 20 years since the first one where now we have a very significant gap between what that one was about and what this one's about but they're both still about family and they're both still about empowerment of kids and this generation would really love that sort of thing you know and this new form factor and it's really cool now especially that we learned from we can be heroes is uh streaming services is really great for kids they can watch the movie as much yeah. as they want not as yeah. much as they can convince their parents to go to the movie and drive them there <laughs> so <laughs> they get to watch it that much more so it, we can be heroes is really impactful and beloved because kids could just watch it at the pace they like watching things you watch it all the way through gets to the end credits you just replay it and you do it again and you do that a few times a day <laughs> Well, you guys might be you guys might be a little young to remember this, but that's exactly what they did in the video store days with Disney movies. I would rent out a Disney movie and the kids would just on loop watch the VHS again, rewind again. They did it with Spy Kids because Spy Kids was on VHS as well. And it would just loop again and again and again. But now it's instant on their phone, on the car. They could just watch. I mean, I think my girls have seen uh, We Could Be Heroes a few times, at least two or three times. Uh, and I was like, I'll, I'll walk in the living room. That's great. Are you what? Didn't you just see this like last week? Like, yeah, yeah. They have the ability to do that. Like, I can't yeah, yeah. watch it yeah. again and again. Yeah. Yeah. Mine doesn't do that anymore. You know, yeah, you know, sure. it's like, like it's I can't just watch like a lethal weapon like five times in a row. I can't really do that anymore. That's why. Yeah, it's just like different the way they enjoy their entertainment, and it just it was always kind of difficult to make to make that work but you know now it's easier than ever for them kind of i mean they don't really have much of a problem watching it on a phone or an ipad they just want to see it and like be able to watch experience it over and over again see the jokes again and you know right. 
So it's cool to put something in front of them that like really empowers them and shows them, you know, they can go on a really cool, awesome adventure. They can do really incredible things. And if they work together with their family as well, you know, you can do, you can move mountains. And it's, it's always been about that sort of thing too. It's really special. So. And uh, We Can Be Heroes, if I'm not mistaken, was like number one on Netflix for a while, like a little, for like a little, like it was like, everybody was like, what's going on? Like, what is, (laughs) what what, is this this is Stranger (laughs) Things? Like, what's going on? I heard that. I'm like, good, man. That's awesome. You know, it it wasn't, and I know the budgets because I know Robert Robert spent $400 million to make that. So I was like, good that, you know, a, a film like that gets that kind of attention worldwide yeah worldwide (laughs) yeah it's really it's really something uh it's really interesting and i I believe that this one will probably do uh i hope do similar business if you will Uh, so they can make (laughs) the next two or three uh and then your kids will start making them yeah Uh, exactly (laughs) that's that's yeah that's the hope for us you know right now we're still waiting for the launch and we're like oh i hope I just want to make a second and a third and a fourth mm. and a fifth yeah. beyond this. So yeah, exactly. I hope uh, kids connect with it just as much as with as with We Can Be Heroes and all that kind of stuff because it's really. But if not, we really had a great time making it. It really brought the family together in a really fun way, and, and we just uh, are excited for people to watch it. And what was the biggest challenge of making that film? Because uh, making yeah. this one, yeah, yeah, because you guys have got a little, bit a little of, different. You got, <laughs> you, got shrapnel. you got you got some shrapnel now. You got a little bit of shrapnel on you. You know, you've taken a couple hits along the way. Yeah. How did this big, a little bit of bigger budget, slightly uh, yeah. bigger budget, <laughs> <Slightly>. <laughs> a little bigger than Red Eleven, yeah. bigger, yeah. <laughs> so, from a producing standpoint and a composing standpoint, how did this like biggest challenges you had to overcome? This one definitely the biggest challenge was uh, uh, dealing with a legacy. You know, of the oh, yeah. originals are so beloved that, yeah. and we just love them so much too, that crafting something that has to capture what came before, that that was always, you know, you put on your gloves to deal with that every single day. Just, okay, and now we're going to carefully adjust this and that and make sure this is, feels up to snuff. And so like reference of the originals was so key and so important. And like in hindsight, there's still little elements that I watch now in the movie and go, gosh, I wish I made that more like this or more like that. Cause like, oh, I missed, totally missed that whole side of fun that the originals had that, ah, oh, that I only incorporated a little bit. So like that definitely is the biggest challenge, but we're, and that haunts you throughout writing, throughout production, through editing, even through visual effects. It's like, no, this has to look the right shape. They're composing. <laughs> composing. <laughs> composing. Yep. Composing. All, all throughout all of it. That challenge haunts you throughout all of it. But at the end, I'm really happy with where it, how it came together and how I watch it and I see kids smile uh, sitting next to me and go, okay, you know, you can beat yourself up about like, ah, oh, I wish you did this, this and that. But it really, it captures something that's just like the originals and that makes us smile as kids and makes us smile now as big kids. So. I never, I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. You guys are the, the, the number one fans of this franchise. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. and, and the pressure that that puts on you guys as creators, it's kind of like, you know, my parents started this train. I, I better not derail it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's a sense. I can say this now, not at the beginning of the process. You're like, I, I can't do it. I can't go down this road. Especially you know how many times this type of stuff hasn't worked out. And you're like, the yeah. odds are stacked against you for sure. It's definitely. <laughs> any sequel. Yeah. Any sequel. Any sequel. The yeah. second, third, or fifth. Yeah. Always had. You're, you're always. Occasionally you get the Terminator 2. 
occasionally yeah. you get yeah. aliens. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> occasionally. And by the way, I actually like Spy Kids 2 more than I like Spy Kids 1, honestly. Oh, wow. oh, that's oh, just my oh, personal, I love Spy oh, Kids that's 1, awesome. but Spy Kids 2, I really remember liking it more. I just liked that's it fun. more than the first one. So oh, that's occasionally, that was my favorite too. <laughs> right. It's like occasionally, yeah, but man, I can't imagine that kind of pressure because from your parents' legacy, from the film's legacy, and also your own love of being part of it since you were so young must have been, man, how the hell did you make this movie? I'm like, I'm stressed out, not even making them. <laughs> sure. I think, yeah, definitely the stress and the weight and like the pressure of all of that is what counterbalances a lot is the love and the passion we've had for the series. And it's like, you know. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. We're like some of the biggest fans. So it's like, we were there the whole time going, it's got to have this, it's got to have a that, it's got to have this. You know, we need the vehicles. We need a little robot assistant because you can't go without that. I mean, that's all I wanted as a kid. It was a stinking robot assistant. I wanted Ralph so badly. <laughs> it needs this, it needs that. I mean, I it's, still need Ralph, sir. I still need Ralph. Still need Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all if you told me I could buy one, I'd probably be looking towards that. Yeah, I would... Yeah. 100%. Ralph is a necessity. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely just as much as it was a huge deal and there was a lot to uh, a lot to uh, get done here. There was the passion for it was really what drove us. And it was, you know, it's what made it probably one of my favorite projects we've done was that we get to do all that again and, you know, be able to add a new twist to it and add new flavors to it. And we have enough under our belt that we are like, we know how we can approach that in the writing and this and that, you know, we kind of put all our heads together and can try to do something new, but still have that same feeling uh, as the originals. So it's really That's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. I think so, it came at exactly at the right time when I didn't feel I was ready for it, but I had the passion to like, <laughs> if I could do it, this is how I'd do it. And so, you know. So yeah. uh, now uh, moving on real quick, you guys also worked on another little film called Hypnotic. Uh, oh. Recently you produced and you uh, composed that uh, again, slightly bigger than Red Eleven. Um, a little bigger, yeah. yeah. Hi, uh, Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben was <laughs> a star. Uncle Ben was a star. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, I mean, you guys, you guys are taking on bigger and bigger projects now. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's so admirable to see how you guys are taking on this kind of pressure because you could, I mean, you guys could easily, you could be all, all honest and no BS aside, you guys could coast comfortably for the rest of your life. No, no joke. You can like, I could go through this, but you guys are challenging yourselves and pushing yourselves as creators, as filmmakers. And I think that is a legacy of your parents who are pushing you and throwing you into the deep end. Cause when I saw like, cause I'm like, Oh, they did that. Oh. Here, oh, they. And then when I looked at, I'm like, son of a, they did hypnotic too. Like that's, that's a big, that's, that's a big, that's a big boy movie, you know, serious <laughs> movie, big boy movie, big girl movie. You know, so when you approach that, like, how did you guys, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a bigger deal, guys. It's not, it's not <laughs> legacy. It's not legacy. It's not something okay. else that you're like, okay, we're, we're now in the deep end with Uncle Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh man, absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, as you were saying that, we, I, as you were saying, you guys are taking on the challenge. The little voice in my head is going, oh, but I love the challenge. And it's like in this moment, in this chair, I realized 
oh gosh, my parents gave me a bit of their insanity. Yeah. <laughs> this is that insanity that, that gets the programming, the programming I talked to you about earlier. This is yeah. very subtle. subtle these students. Very subtle these students. <laughs> <laughs> they flipped it around. The pressure and challenge that nobody wants, they've made us like crave it and desire it and go after it as a day job. <laughs> Makes me more excited. But it's that's really a kind of thinking that, you know, I mean, you become unbreakable in that regard. The more challenge you get, the more excited you are about it. It's like that's the passion can completely outgun the amount of pressure you have. And really, that's what generates the ideas. If you're not passionate for it, if you just feel like you're going to get steamrolled, nothing's going to come to you at all. But if you're (laughs) if you're if you got that rocky kind of mentality to it, where it's like, there's no way, you know, you just got to go the distance and give it everything you've got. You start coming up with stuff. The passion kind of drives it. And there that's where you start to get the inspiration, the impetus to kind of start making something and and, yeah. and talk about a challenge that makes you feel unbreakable uh, with hypnotic it's like yeah this is a serious thriller we have a uh, major great actor attached to this oh and, and also an yeah. also an oscar winner and yes. a great director in his own right a fantastic director <laughs> absolutely fantastic director yeah exactly exactly uh on top of that it was 2020 it was 2020 and 2021 we made this during a little something uh, called the pandemic the global the pandemic. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. That's insane. This, insane. <laughs> wow. This project fell apart because of COVID twice, each time shrinking the budget as it went because uh, we this film was pre-sold. So all the budget that you have is all the budget you got. And twice we almost got it started: once in California, once in uh, Canada, but both times it fell through. And so we finally found a way to bring it over to a little home called Austin and uh, pulled out, believe it or not, pulled out a lot of our Red 11 tricks on this one. (laughs) A good amount of the movie is shot in the exact same office studio as Red 11. (laughs) We were like, how much, how can we use more of our own studio for this film? And just the fact that it's a thriller and it's got psychological aspects to it. It's, it's literally, we kept calling it, it's like the spiritual successor of like Red 11. Like Red 11 had a desperado. It was weird. Like Mariachi <laughs> had a desperado. Right. It's really strange how that happened. Where That's it was like, remarkable. So much of the same kind of DNA that made that was kind of had to put this out of necessity, but it made them so, it feel almost like they're linked spiritually a little bit. <laughs> it's, so it, it, it and it was it took all sides to do it you know we we're like okay well this is just a normal office but rebel with your incredible music that you've just learned how to compose we're going to <laughs> make this feel great and uh psychological and epic and moving and dramatic even though he's just walking through our same boring gray hall that we have in our studio <laughs> no pressure so, at yeah, all boys no, no pressure, pressure at all yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah it, it was fun it was really fun to, you know, move on to something like that. That's, uh, as you said, big, big boy, big girl movie and yeah, man. tackle it with all the same tool set that we've learned up to this point and gain new ones along the way. So I have to ask you guys, uh, this question, what is the biggest, if you can, if you can bring it down to one thing, what is the biggest lesson you've learned from your dad? Biggest lesson I've learned from my dad. Filmmaking, um, filmmaking or life. It's up to you. <laughs> that's kind of the thing with him it's almost like the kung fu master is you don't realize he's teaching he's teaching you how to throw a punch but he's also teaching you how to pay your mortgage or how to yeah. <laughs> how to have a successful relationship right or anything like that uh i always tell him this one is my favorite and is he taught me one day i think i was upset about something when i was five or six and he grabbed visuals are good for parents he grabbed a cup of water filled about halfway and it's a lesson we've all heard but 
you know, it just sticks with you. He spilled about halfway and he said, look at this cup of water. You can look at it. You can either see it as half full or half empty. What is it to you right now? And I said, it's half empty. Like there's only half water there. And he said, you just use a negative mindset. To me, I see a lot of potential in the little water that's in there. That's half full. I've got so much water to work with. I've got half full a cup of water. That's incredible. And he said, that is positive thinking. With that, I can conquer anything. With think, with believing I've got so much greatness in this little half full cup of water, I've got so much I can do. And he taught me that. I didn't tell him until probably like a decade later, 17, that that was the most important thing he ever taught me. And he went, I don't remember teaching you that. Really? Did I say that? <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. <laughs> I was like, what? Well, well, teach me. What did it, What did you get from it? But, <laughs> but that absolutely, you know, it's, it's filmmaking, it's life, it's everything. That kind of thinking, you, pressure and challenges don't turn into opportunity unless you can look at it in a positive way. So like all everything, I, I couldn't have learned anything I've learned either from them or from these projects that they've blessed us by putting us on challenging us with unless i had that so no i definitely it's probably one of the most foundational lessons that everything else builds on it's like if you have that a lot of things can fall into place it's yeah let me think about it it yeah yeah pretty much that one's yeah that's the one that's really it's continued to mean more the more i grew up it's like wow this was that was really it and um i think the only the other one is his main one that you know no matter how prepared you think you are, you're always going to, everything's going to fall apart. He said, as much as knowing is half the battle, the other half of the battle is not knowing. And so it's just this kind of this eternal, you're never going to have the whole battle, basically. It's just always, you got to meet meet it the rest of the way. But but um, yeah, definitely between those two, um, that's kind of been what's always driven us because it's really powerful. It allows you to turn a monumental amount of pressure and problems into a monumental amount of potential. And for creativity, potential, and passion is what makes it grow. So you just, beautiful. when you got nothing, you at least got your mind and like a piece of paper and some ideas. <laughs> so that takes no budget, but that's what the move, the best movies are made out of. It's all throughout it is so, that fabric. So. so if I may be able to quote Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yep. That's right. Pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So um and on the other side of that coin of of, of your growth is your mother. And mm-hmm. in the lessons that she taught me, she's a remarkable producer. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, and holds the entire, the entire place for you know when when your parents work together and work together early in their in their careers. She held the space for him to be, for him to be insane. Absolutely, uh-huh. without question, right? Yeah. So, and on Spy Kids, on, the, on this one as well, she held the space so everyone could be insane. What lesson, if you could hold down to one, what is the lesson that your mother has taught you? From not only on the filmmaking side, but on the life side as well, because you know, I you know, I adore your mom. She's I, I uh-huh. adore her. She's she's, she's amazing. But as a producer, I even respect her so much because what she does, she doesn't get a lot of limelight for. Yeah. And yeah, and producers sure. producers Razor, you, you will you, will, you will, <laughs> producers who who what 
Ah, Who cares? Who? It's about <laughs> Uncle Ben and Robert. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> when you when you know about them is usually because they were a huge problem. That's when you know about. Them. That's when you recognize them. So. Then you're like, oh, that producer. Oh, okay. Exactly. All right. Definitely. Uh, where were they? Hollywood Hills. But uh, so so yeah. So that that ability to hold space to protect your creators to hold a set to build a set. What advice? Can, what what? lesson did you learn from her on that aspect and also in life in general yeah yeah for her it's, just, for her it's the same thing filmmaking in life you kind of learn one rule that applies to everything and with her it was that you adore her everybody who's worked with her loves her and it's everybody 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 and so many uh so much that on this new spy kids we got to work together uh again and so i was producing and she was producing and i watched how much she's a mother on set and in production and in post and seeing how much, as much as we talk about the myth of a guy one did it all by himself, no money, none of this all by himself, but got it. There are so many people in the background that led yeah, to something man. like that. And it's so important to remember that all of them are family too. They're just as much stewards of this creation right. as you, the lone maverick are, and they deserve all the love and all the respect and all the kindness you can give them to where they feel safe and that they can explore and that they can uh, be creative and be insane. So that sane foundation yeah. that allows them to grow and flourish, that's what she taught me. I see so many, uh, like I'm studying the secrets of so many other films and TV shows that I love and I do some digging, do some digging and find people saying, oh my gosh, the production was lovely because like there was this one person who took care of all of us and I go, oh, they had an Elizabeth Avian. And I read another one. Yes. Oh, they had an Elizabeth Avian. Yep, oh, they had an Elizabeth Avian. I believe it. So that, that awesome. would definitely be the biggest one. Yeah, yeah she always kind of mentions it offhand because she's, you know, raised five kids and all in quick succession while also making movies. And she always says it took a village to raise, to raise kids. I mean, it takes a whole team. But you hear her always say that it takes a village. I always catch her saying it on set too and it's like it's true it takes a village to make a movie too and it takes everyone being there it's a whole team and it's all of us working together well and having a space where we can all be creative and bring our best to it that really is what makes it you know that's kind of what she does she sets the space for the magic to happen and yeah it's uh and the insanity <laughs> and the insanity exactly and the exactly insanity. And, the insanity. and the insanity oh <laughs> don't, don't, don't get it twisted your mom's crazy too I mean, no, she's, she's got it too she's got it too they all they all got it different flavors they got, but yeah. there's yeah. It, there's an insanity to all of this love absolutely absolutely now guys I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a few questions to ask all of my guests oh please what advice would you give a filmmaker or screenwriter starting in the business today trying to break into the business today oh let's see filmmakers screenwriter trying to break into the business today um don't say make el mariachi because i'll hit you yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, someone asked that to quentin at, uh, at like comic-con or something like oh, that yeah. you know what he said Make reservoir dogs. That's the only way I know how to do it. And I'm like, son of a man. Son of a man. Come on. If only it were that easy, man. It's just, like just write reservoir dogs, then eat fiction. I mean, that's it. That's the way I did it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's like yeah. you just go like that. Um, it's linear. You just build it's up. It's simple. Super simple. Yeah. Um, For me, it definitely be. Oh yeah, you go. There's yeah. the uh uh if you haven't, if you want to make films and you haven't made a feature yet, 
absolutely make a feature and absolutely make a feature. And most importantly, put restrictions on it, put time restrictions, put deadlines, put physical restrictions of what you can use, what you got. I'm not telling you to go make a mariachi. I promise. Don't hit me, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) As much as we talk about the importance of creativity and flourishing that and harnessing that, the, the dual side of that is you got to have your pants on fire a little bit. You got to have, you got to channel insanity. You got to be a little bit crazy so that it gets done because I, I say, you're not a filmmaker until someone is sitting somewhere. It can be a couch at your house. It can be in a theater if you're that lucky or a screening room of some kind, if you make it that far. But you're not a filmmaker until the end credits are rolling and people around you have watched a full film you've made. In that moment, you're a filmmaker. That's And it doesn't matter if it's good or bad, whether they're running out of the theaters to go grab pitchforks and come chase after you. Or if they're laughing, laughing their butts out harder than they laughed ever. It doesn't matter. The what matters is that you do that whole rep. Once you, it's like doing half a push up and expecting that you've done one. It's nope. You you can't filmmaking. It takes a long time to do a single push up, and you got to get all the way to that to that moment for it to fully count. So that's what I would suggest. Beautifully said, sir. I will not be hitting you. Rebel, now it's your turn. You're still on the block. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, Adding to that. Yeah, so that's the first thing we've learned. I've never learned more in my life than I have when there was a deadline, when you've got the pressure. That's when, I don't know, I think it turns into kind of fight or flight. That's when you feel like, okay, we got to move. Something has to be done by now. Even if you made up the deadline, it's something has to be done now. But my own one is, I think the most important thing too, is if you're, you know, you want to get into the business, you have these ideas, you know, because again, like you said, we're all geniuses. We have this incredible <laughs> thing in our head. <laughs> Just start, make something. It does, I don't care what it is. Start. Don't go and wait till you've got, you know, Terminator or until you've got Avatar. You've written the whole thing and you can create this monstrosity. Make something. It doesn't have to be very big, but make at least start doing it and do a whole rep, even if it's a little one. Do one, show people. Now you officially made a movie. So, it's most people never even start. They're like, I want to do it, but I need blank. I have this. I haven't done this. I don't have that. You know, it's, you don't need anything. Just start and you will pick up the pieces that you need along the way. And at least then you've started doing it, which most people don't even get there. So just by showing up the first day, you've started the process. Now you'll get momentum. If you're standing around waiting for inspiration or momentum, it's not going to happen. So you gotta. I feel the. I feel like there's like a spirit of Robert in the room now, like, <laughs> and he's like channeled through you two at the moment because it's. It sounds so. It sounds so beautiful, and both of you guys said it's absolutely right. And where were you guys like 15 years ago for me? Because I wish I would have heard this 15 years ago. All I did was throw obstacles in front of myself, mm, right. and that's what a lot of filmmakers do. They're like, oh, I can't mm-hmm. do it until I have this camera. I can't do it until this person's there. I can't do it until I have this location. And it's excuses because they're either scared or have some trauma like I did, which is a whole other story, uh, or other stuff like that that stops you from going forward until you finally get to the place where you're like, screw it. I'm going to go to Sundance and make a movie. Right, (laughs) Right. for sure. Absolutely. You had had the time of your life doing it. And as a result, I'm sure it came out. I'm sure you could feel the vibrancy in it as a result. If it, you know, with what you came out with, it's just going to, it's got this energy to it because you were excited. You drove it. It It's just the fact they said, screw it. We're going to make a movie. There you go. You started. You're doing something now. Even if it's with your phone, you're going around and doing something at least. And 
That's it's, the big difference. It's, it's really, very powerful. It's really a powerful mm -hmm. idea to just get going and get yeah. started. But the, I think the one thing that's missing from this this little bit is the attachment to um, what happens to it. The attachment uh, to, oh, if I have to make this, that was the biggest thing. Like, yeah. and El Mariachi was the best and the worst thing that ever happened to a whole generation of filmmakers, as sure. as was Clerks, as was Slackers, all of those of those, at that generation is like, oh, when I make my first film, it has to be Reservoir Dogs. Right. It yep. has to be Mariachi. It's got to be Clerks. And that pressure, you're just destroying yourself yep. before you even get off the, you can't walk with that kind of weight on you. Yeah, you know? exactly. And mm -hmm. you learn early on that you don't have to do that because you, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I imagine that as filmmakers, the pressure that was on you guys. I mean, we talked a little bit about on Spy Kids too, but you know, you've got two very large shadows. That you, but you're like, screw it, I'm doing me, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. They did what they did. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And it took me to just say, I'm 40. Damn it. <laughs> I, I gotta do it. I mean, what am I gonna wake up tomorrow? I'm gonna be 60. I'm gonna still do with this BS. I gotta make something. And I'd been directing for 20 years, but I hadn't uh, made the feature yet. Yeah. And that was and that was the thing. So then once I made and once you make the one, it's good, bad, and different, doesn't matter. You're like, okay, I proved to myself I can make one. Great. And now I can move forward. And it doesn't have to be reservoir dogs. Because no. no one's gonna make reservoir dogs. <laughs> no one's yeah. reservoir dogs. I mean, Brothers yeah. McMullen, in the Boys in the Hood, no one's going to make those movies again, ever, yeah. ever. So once you get that out of your head, then mm -hmm. it frees you to be the creative, the creative that's forces that you two are now. No, so oh, thank you. That is, I absolutely that is agree. That's yeah. That is the uh, missing key of the triumvirate right there. I absolutely yeah. agree. Yeah. You just um, you go ahead, right? go for it. Oh no, go for it. So um. If there was if if there was a, a worst day you've ever been on a production, what was that day, and how did you overcome it? Oh, that's a good one. Ooh. <laughs> Let's see. I gave the raining raining on our climax story. Gosh, what's another? I know there's one on Spikins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I assume Rebel, when you're when you're composing, I mean, a hard drive might have crashed here and there, uh, or or you could or, or you get blocked from. It's it's almost always mental. It's almost always mental. It's and it almost happens on every single one of them. I'm gonna say, and oh, that's another thing I'll point out in a second. But yeah, it's it was heroes. This was the first time it really hit. It was we can be heroes. I wrote that entire score because it was like a blessing and a curse. I wrote the huge battle sequence where the parents fight the aliens and all that. I wrote that. That was one of the first things I wrote for that. That was like after almost a year of learning orchestral music, I'd never written for an orchestra. So I was spending a year writing pretty much garbage. I hit that and I was like, that's great. And Robert was like, well, good news is that's really great music. That's incredible. You know, I could never write at that level. The bad news is I can't help you on this anymore. You got to do the whole movie yourself. <laughs> so <laughs> I like, I'm not going to help you because you have I can't, it's not going to sound. You have yeah. surpassed the master. I can't help but, you anymore. Yeah. Good luck. He's like, it's not going to sound the same. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just sweat it. Get in there. All right. <laughs> so when I sweat the Mayaku, the Exactly. Yeah. And it was four months of music. I composed for four months on that one. And it's 90, it's like 85, 90 minutes of music. 
All orchestra. A lot of music. An hour and a half of music. Yeah. And I was halfway through. It was like two and a half months. I think it was actually more than halfway. Two and a half months in. And I had written one third of it. Going as fast as I could go. And that's when it dawns on you. I don't think I'm going to make it, dude. And it's all mental. You're just up all night. Just sitting there going... Dude, it's done for. I'm gonna sink this whole movie. Oh yeah, you start going down the yeah. rabbit hole. Yeah, you start sitting. Yeah. You're, you're, well, you're circling you're the, the drain. Guy. circling the drain. Yeah. yeah, the whole movie's been made. Everyone's done their things. High fives. You saw everyone was so excited when the set was over. We did it. It's amazing. Edited. It's all coming together. You're the last guy there. I mean, you're just like they're all like, all right, make the last leap. You know, you're right there. And it's like I don't think I'm gonna make it. And I don't know, something clicks there where you go into overdrive. It's one of these scariest kinds of things because the way I say it is the more ideas you create, the more impetus you're going to get on the project because you're kind of figuring it out, like the puzzle piece of what's the style of it, what's this, what's that. Just keep making. Don't stop. It doesn't matter if it's good, bad, don't judge it. Just keep making stuff because you're going to have more room to work with. And so you start a movie, at least a score, and it's halfway through and you haven't made half. You've made like a third, maybe even less, but it almost like multiplies until by the end you're writing like 10 times faster than you were at the beginning because you've just figured out more of the movie. So it always feels like you're down to the wire pretty much. That was the first time I ever experienced it. And there's always that moment where it dawns on you. It's like Rocky where he's like, I can't do this. You know, I'm just going to go the distance. I it's and it's it's one of if it could either break you or it can make you definitely. It's one of those moments where you either quit and say, I can't do it, man. You're gonna have to hire someone else or you just drive through and it. You know, you barely make it by the skin of your teeth. It's like you know what's fa- you know what's fascinating is like I've I've done I don't know thousand episodes at this point. I've I've had composers on before. I've never had a composer at your level that's able to do these large movies or have have the opportunity to do these large movies uh-huh. and this relay race pressure because you're the last leg <laughs> of the race. Yeah, and if you fumble, yeah, if you fumble the damn baton. It's all over. No matter how fast the other guys were, you're done. That pressure is something I've never really thought about for a composer because a lot of the composers I've talked to, like, you know, Oscar winners are big guys who've done this a thousand times. But you're just like, I've never talked to them about like the beginning aspects of their career. Just like, I was on a $70 million movie and I, I was just like, <laughs> I, they yeah, are the and yeah. I had no one around me to help. Like I'm yeah. alone. My yeah. suerte. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. So I did that's it. Really remarkable. We're here to, I'm here today. I survived somehow. I. It's a blur, but yeah, and, it happens. And it's going to happen every single movie. That's all I've every, found. I come back. You think, oh, you're on top of the world. That's it. No, it's like Rocky. He comes back. He can't do it again. You got to start from back, from scratch again. You're like, I don't think I can do this one. Because this, this, and that. Oh, this this one's hypnotic. It's got, a, I mean, it's got, you know, Ben Affleck on it. Shit. We don't have an orchestra. They carry the way. I mean, they do amazing work. You write this stuff, you give it to them, they make it sound incredible. It's all on me. What comes out of my old computer is what's going to be on the movie. And it's like, I don't know if I can do this again. And it's like, you, you just, you get in your head and it's over. So it's, yeah, every single time I've hit it, it's just. That's yeah. beautiful because it's like, like, you know, am I going to have to go down to the, bu- to the dungeon of Apollo and train again? Like, am I, 
<laughs> and man, like it's like because I just can't. Obviously, Mr. T is too much for me. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm gonna make it. I think I've been broken, and now I have to come back. So it's it's similar. So your Mr. T was like Ben Affleck, man. This is a big ass movie, and I don't yeah. know what the hell I'm yeah. gonna do, man. That glass and of I, water better be half full, man, because yeah. the only thing you got. Oh my gosh, yeah, uh, that's, that's <laughs> remarkable. Well, that's that's great, man. Thank you for that story. That's I just never really thought about that aspect of yeah, right. compo- I've been in post most of my life. So I've always been mm. at the end mm. and I always figure it out. And I was, you know, posted and I've been post supervisor VFX, all that kind of stuff. So I always just figure it out along the way. But mine's is technical on that sense. Maybe the creative with editing and stuff, but I'm not, I'm not alone. A lot of times <laughs> I have either a producer, you're out there in an Island by yourself. And there's just a phone call. Oh, I like that. I'm musica. <laughs> yeah. yeah basically yeah that's amazing that's amazing it's pretty incredible so razor how about you my friend oh i'll just tack on to what he said because it's excellent we're just it's really been fortunate we haven't had really anything bad you know we've had things explode we've had sure, sure. sick we had everything that could be considered bad, but it's like, it's never been really that bad because you just do what Revel said there. Movie set standards. Shit happens all the time. Yeah, and it, all the time. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Whether it's, oh God, the wind is kicking up so high on our fin- hypnotic finale that none of the actors can see because sand is blowing in their eyes. So we got to close out this finale as quick as we can and make it emotional somehow because we're at a dry river basin in COVID and we can't go anywhere else. Or it's like, oh gosh, it's 105 degrees outside and our little actor star is just not having this heat. He is having a horrible time <laughs> and he's got to deliver some lines right now, unless we can cut him cleverly right now. Watch this. I'll draw, do a little drawing. I'll show you. We can fix this. So as Revel said, you, you start getting your head. The most important thing you can do is get out of your head quickly. Start making it tangible. Start making tangible solutions. No matter what it is, whether it's boat sinking Vehicle's gone. Actor can't make it. You have to rewrite the entire scene. Just start drawing, start writing, start talking to everybody that's there to help you and figure it out. Get out of your head quickly. Beautiful, beautiful advice, guys. Now, um, if you had a chance to go back in time and talk to Little Rebel and Little Racer, what advice would you give them? (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I've actually had one of those. Yeah. Do you have a time machine? Dude, seriously, can I borrow it? Like, yeah. I have there's a lot I can fix. I, there's a lot of stuff I need to work on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I actually, yeah, on uh, on Spy Kids, I had this one actually. We were uh, we were in London recording for the. We we're there for the orchestra to go record it live because the whole thing's live recorded. And uh, mm-hmm. it was up there that I wrote it down. And I was telling the race. We're always just talk ideas about this kind of stuff, and it's just I told them. I think I finally have something I would have like gone back a few years and wish I told myself like <laughs> really, really like, man, I wish I did this five years ago, man. <laughs> but it's uh, it's an interesting kind of trap you ro- you fall into because you're doing what you love. It's not what you really expect is. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um. I loved making music. I mean, it was like everything to me. I was just out of school. Now you've got all the time, you know, all the time you could possibly think of. You've got a part-time job or whatever. You've got so much time as opposed to when I was in school. And it's like, you're squeezing out whatever little bit you got that isn't school time. And um, I think the worst thing you can do is be so passionate about it that you put all of your time into it 
and are willing to put in an unbelievable amount of hours into it constantly and do every little last little touch and try to make the most perfect thing you can make because it's not at all how reality works. Honestly, it's it's almost (laughs) like you need and it's like it was always weird. I'd make things and I would just get so into the details and almost lost in the details to where you're not really doing the broad strokes well and all that kind of stuff because I had so much time. It's like, oh, well, I can sit here and do this all day and, you know, mess with every little note I write and all that kind of stuff. It's it's actually counterintuitive. It teaches you all the wrong ways to do things. In a weird way, I'd watch my dad work and Robert just has kind of this thing of like, well, I've only got this many hours. Let's just hit it and let's do it. And he just dives right in. And he, I mean, he's making broad strokes pretty much, but you see how he's not afraid to make mistakes. He's not afraid to make something that it doesn't seem like it's perfect to him. And it's almost like when he's mostly focusing on those broader strokes, he gets a big, he gets a, uh, a better result from it. It's almost like a bold... I call that uh, line confidence. When you're an artist and you draw, if you're just trying to make every like line really perfect, they actually end up kind of squib- scribbly. If you've seen a great artist, they're just like, like nothing. I mean, it's just like they're just throwing them out there. And you watch Robert; he does the same thing. I went up and got to work with. We got to work with John Debney on this again, who did the music for Spike It's Two. He did he helped Spike It's One, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he kind of helped birth the Spike It sound. But I watched him compose. I like never gotten to see like a professional composer actually in the midst of writing. And he's just like all this stuff. I had like put all this time and attention to detail to, Oh, I do this. Cause I have all this time. He's just like glancing over it. Like, and what he's focusing on is so different than what I was focusing on because he doesn't have time. He doesn't put a lot of time into it. He's like, well, in one hour, I got to get the scene done. Swish, swash, you know, does all that. And versus me, I've got Eight, I could put all the time in the world I want in this. And you focus on all the wrong things. It teaches you to not look at the right things. If you give yourself a little time, this kind of goes into the deadline thing. Um, you actually focus on what's the most important thing that'll make the most impact. And that's where you start to make some real progress. So it was once I've started to do that, I really started after I watched him write like that. I was like, oh, that's how you write. All my music was, I mean, literally like leaps and bounds improved. So I mean, the the old guys have a couple of tricks. I'm gonna say, old man strength. Old man strength, baby. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's weird. It's like so counterintuitive because you're like, I'm so passionate about this. How could I just now be so apathetic towards it? And it's like, it's not apathy so much as it's like you have to learn how to just let it flow. You gotta have that confidence in your strokes and just, you know, move with it. And it's almost more important to put more ideas out there rather than barely squeeze out one because you finally thought it was perfect. You know. Get out of your head. Throw down too many. It's way better to have too much stuff. I mean, he would just overdo it. He'd put in too much and go, that was too much. And he'd back it off. At least now you found out where the ledge was. If you kept tiptoeing forward, blindfolded, you never know where that ledge is. And take you forever to get there. Exactly. So it's, that was really, really important. (laughs) (laughs) Another good answer, sir. Razor? But first off, I would take the entire recording of this podcast and just play it to a 17-year-old racer. Like, you're going to listen to this. You're going to memorize every single word that is said here by all three of these people talking right now. <laughs> Start with that. That's book one. Appreciate book, that. Book two. You're going to... You're out of high school now, little 18-year-old racer. Okay, you're going to take a whole year off. You're going to take a gap year. What you're going to do is you're going to make a feature. You have one year to do it. I don't care how you do it. But it's got to be done in one year, and I dare you to make it good. It can't be, you can't make it, you can't be good and go over time. You have to try to strive for some level of greatness, and you have to, but you have to finish it. It has to be done by the end of this. And uh, 
put some of your time into it. As Rebel said, don't put all 16 hours of your day into it. Give yourself a work day, eight hours, six hours, whatever you can manage. Then go take time for family, for friends, all of that stuff, because that's important too. You got to take care of all the other sides of your life because now you're dealing with adult things too. And make that happen. That'll teach you more than anything combined. And of course, most important thing, make it with what you got. Because with one year, no money, you don't have time for, you don't have it. There's nothing you can get for that. So do it with what you've got. That's, and yeah, now, that's what I would and, say. And finally, the last question, and arguably the most difficult one I've asked in this entire conversation. Oh, wow. Each of you, three of your favorite films of all time. Oh, I, oh actually, <laughs> this, I always keep my list ready. Uh, By the way, everyone who's just listening to this, Rebel just grabbed this phone. I was like, okay, let me just pull off my list. And... <laughs> I actually just did this. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Go ahead, guys. I keep my top five on hand. So I've okay. got um, Excalibur, 1981, John Borman. That's my top of the top favorite. Absolutely. It has everything I love. When you see the new Spy Kids, you might see some influence. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, <laughs> absolutely love it. Uh, number two, uh, The Incredibles. Uh, classic Pixar. Talk about VHS as you would watch on infinite repeat. That, that was the first time where I watched a movie all the way to the end. Went through the end credits because they're incredible. The music and everything. Michael Giacchino just killing it. And I watched it all and I just hit reset. And I went, I think this is one of my favorite movies. This is the only one I've ever done this on. And then uh, number three is uh, Old Boy. Absolutely love love the style from the early 2000s. It's got a style that all my favorite like video games and like TV shows had at the time. That's like this Y2K dark futurism. Absolutely love it. So, so those are my top three. The great top three. And I have to I just tell you a geek story real quick. Oh, I was please, at please. Sundance at a midnight screening of Old Boy in the wow. U.S. premiere of Old Boy. While, wow. he, while the director was there, he wow. just learned it from Japan. There. Wow. And I met wow. him, and he was like half asleep because a poor guy just flew over <laughs> from <guy>. Japan. <laughs> and I remember wow. seeing Old Boy at Sundance at, at the uh, at the, wow. uh, the main theater there, the um, Egyptian. And uh-huh. I'm like, what did I just watch? watch. Like, it was like, <laughs> what? insanity is this <laughs> i was it was it was one of those moments i'll never forget i'll never I forget believe that. it at a so, midnight screening <laughs> at a midnight screening at sundance with a director just flying in from japan uh, like he he hadn't gotten there yet when the movie started he was there at the end for a q a and then i met him outside outside everyone was gone already i'm like so how are you he's like and this interpreter was there and it was like uh oh, great that's crazy. so cool dude that's amazing oh my god <laughs> Envious. Sorry, that's I had to, amazing. I had to, I had that's to throw awesome. That little geek story out there. So, so I've cool. got, got a few geek stories along the way. But oh that's, man, uh, <laughs> one of the better. I'll mine you man. for more. <laughs> <laughs> got a lot of cool stories. That's for sure. Uh, that's Re- awesome. Rebel, how about you? How's your top? Uh, top? Um, all of his three are also my favorites, but I pulled out some extra other ones as well. We love those, but um, definitely one of my top favorite favorite animated at the moment right now across the spider verse that was inc- oh, i absolutely so loved it that was so incredible cute. i mean it's just it's changing the game of animated we love incredibles but it's really cool to see something now that's like shoot that's like another incredibles to some degree like in it's just a whole other level it's, it's like, like when, yeah. I, when i watched just, that i was like i mean what is going on <laughs> it's really impressive absolutely yeah, um yeah. amadeus that's a classic i love that one a lot and now i love it more because i make music the more i've learned the more i appreciate it that, that laugh like, oh it's so yeah <laughs> yeah oh my god like the more you learn Please. about music the more you're just like 
it's crazy. They captured like the genius of it so well. I mean, it's just oh, like, it's such it's a, so a masterpiece. Great. I mean, masterpiece. It's just that one's just fantastic. And then um, Tide, either Jaws. That's another classic. Always love that one. Musical. That one's great. Uh, I've always been a big fan of that. I've been playing it on the piano since I was like, you know, however young I was. Our, our dad introduced us to the Jaws theme. We didn't know what the movie was. So I was just there. Dun, 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 dun. You know. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. He played the music in the car. And he was like, you'll see it someday. And it's like, that was it. That's all I knew. But um, And What's Up, Doc? I love love that comedy. Wow. Cool. Nice. That's great. Nice. A great comedy. Great. So, so great. So I noticed your dad didn't make the list, but that's fine. That's fine. I'm sure his ego <laughs> will be fine with that. That's joking. <laughs> I would I would have been like Sin City. Uh um, right? like, guy, seriously, dude, seriously. You drank the Kool-Aid. So I'm glad he's you got... did not put any of your father's films up. <laughs> he's he's got a special list. It's like yeah. it almost doesn't count because like yeah. to so us... let me so let me ask you this. What is your favorite dad film? You go uh, first, Rebel. Just to make sure I don't pick the same one. No, you go for it because I know we're gonna pick the same one. I'll, I'll pick it up. Okay. 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 Top three. Top three. Uh, oh, uh, top three Robert films in your world. Oh, uh, cool. Number one, Road Racers, his second film. Yes, of course. Uh, so great, incredible. I love the Rebel spirit of it. So so good. Um, then for me next, it's uh, Desperado. I just love what he did with Ed Mariachi and just like complete spiritual successor that just blew even more heads than the first one. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Incredible. And then uh, Spy Kids 2, honorable mention, my my absolute favorite of the Spy Kids. I love the fantasy and the creatures and the fun. and They have the best outfits in that movie. (laughs) How about you? Um, Road Racers is a very big favorite of ours. Sin City, though, is another one. Definitely. I loved watching that one. Um, He always puts off showing us his movies we just wait till he wants to show it to us that one we watched like at midnight practically we finished it was like 2 a.m and he was like hey let's make the breakfast tacos from the five minute cookies cool <laughs> we made those ate them at like 3 a.m oh we just so we could time ask some questions yeah. like yeah but that was that's super memorable for me and then um definitely ed mariachi as well and desperado so those are just I, if i if i, I may love. throw my if i may throw mine into the ring go for it i'd love so to go there I think Desperado was uh, because I was in film school when Desperado came out. Uh, I saw it great. in the theater. I saw it in the theater, uh, and I saw I had that poster in my 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 room. Right in your room. Uh, yeah, yeah, with yeah. with with uh, Uncle Antonio, uh, <laughs> and and that gun that was just amazing. Yeah. That double barrel, yeah, like the, 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 the double barrel shotgun. Yeah, the shotgun. Yeah, I'm gonna say Desperado because that was the one that really um, that one really hit me. Sin City. Um, yeah. Uh, Without question, uh, you look at Sin City, you're just like, I don't, I don't even know, man. man. Crazy, know. so great. And believe it or not, um, one of the other films that I really loved of his is Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Oh, it's classic. It's excellent. Because Once Upon a Time in Mexico, for me, was the film that got me off my ass to wow. make the first big short film that wow. went on and did it, it did insane things for me. And I had a Roger mm. Ebert review it, and it was a whole uh, that's great. Day. That's awesome. But it all started with Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And I saw the Wacamole gun. Right. That was ask. I, I, I saw the Wacamole gun and I saw that and I was like, I think I could do this now. Like it was like, there was so much per, like For sure. obstacles that you put in your yeah. head. But that was the movie that just kind of pushed me over. So it has a special place in my heart for that was the movie that kind of launched my filmmaking side, not the commercial or music video side that I've been doing, but more the filmmaking, filmmaking side. 
was that that was the film that kind of did it for me. So those those are my that's top great. three. That's classic. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. I love those picks. Yeah. There's just so much to choose from. It's just all great. Oh no! Again, yeah. they're their own. That's their own category. You can't even yeah. put them in the top. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Boys, I I truly appreciate this conversation, man. It has been such a pleasure and honor talking to both of you. Your your energy is infectious. I want to go make a feature now. I don't know why. All right. But uh, I'm going to go shoot something. I don't know when, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to just figure it out. Just go. No, your your energy is infectious. Uh, and, and this has just been such a pleasure of a conversation. And I do believe, I agree with you, Racer. I think that filmmakers will get a whole lot out of this conversation. There's a lot of gems in this. And I hope it helps people around the world kind of maybe demystify a little bit of the myth. And really get into the weeds of how you actually make these films and actually do this kind of process, the mariachi process, if you will, mm-hmm. um, without the myth. It's much overhanding. Yep. <laughs> if you guys kind of cut through the myth really quickly, and like, no, nah, we don't know. And, and this, I don't know. And it's like, so it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you guys so much. Oh, by the way, where can people watch Spy Kids? Spy Kids will be on Netflix. Coming at the end of September, very soon, very, very soon. Yeah, very excited. Please, if you're if you're a fan, if you've grown up, if you have kids, please, please, I would love for you to see it. And even if you've never heard of Spy Kids, go check them all out. They're all excellent, classic, classic films. And do you have do you guys have any parting messages for any young racer or young rebel out there? <laughs> who's thinking about getting into this insanity carnival <laughs> circus ridiculous business that we're all in any parting messages for them <laughs> absolutely i please jump in whether you want to do animated live action or shows or whatnot please jump in because stories and films stories are how one of the methods that humans get truth from the world and i want to see the truths that you can put into the world and teach all of us about. And you're never going to make a mariachi or Reservoir Dogs or Clerks or any of those, but I don't want to see that from you. I want to see your film. I want to see what you can make. Rebel? Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, shoot, let me think about that a bit. <laughs> well, while you're thinking about that, I do have to say something. This is kind of the elephant in the room. You guys both have the greatest names ever. Um, <laughs> I know. I knew it was. I know it wasn't your mom. I know it wasn't your mom. Your mom just allowed it. But it, <laughs> because I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I, I try. I already started. I started a, pro, a propaganda campaign with my wife. When I was gonna have kids, I'm like, if I have a boy. He has to be Maximus Ferrari. Max Ferrari. Max Come Ferrari on. has to be. That's oh, so has to be. That's so Max cool. Ferrari. But yet I had, to. but luckily I had girls. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it would have been, I would have had a fight. It would have Maximus The world was spared of a Max Ferrari. A Max Maybe Ferrari. Another generation. Imagine, can you imagine <laughs> awesome. Max Ferrari? That's amazing. That's, yeah, that's too, you can't, you can't pass that up. Believe <laughs> <laughs> it or not, it, it, little, little mom's insanity. Uh, Racer Max was chosen because my mom had a crush on Racer X when she watched Speed Racer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, <yeah. really? laughs> yeah. so uh-huh. she, she came up with the name first and, and her dad came up with she, it. He, uh, they both thought Racer would be fun after Rocket. And uh, and then Rebel was going to be my name too. But I was like, ah, it's not a Rebel. I think this is a racer, and came up with the middle name with uh, with uh, uh, Dia Salma. 
about people. Racist. Like I said, so, yeah, no, yeah. insane. Local. Insane. Yep. All of them. All All of you are nuts. Uh, <laughs> uh, anything you want to add, Rachel? No pressure. Um, yeah. So I think definitely if you're going to dive in, like Ray said, do so. It's amazing. It's it's creative work is one of the most gratifying kinds of things ever. I mean, it's nothing opens your mind more like creativity, but definitely learn to love the process and all that it is. It's all the good, all the bad, all the crazy days. Learn to see it half full, learn to enjoy all of it because no matter how big and famous you get or how much you stay right where you are, it's all going to be the same the whole time. There's just more money. So there's more people and there's more problems and more of the same thing. So enjoy and love the process for what it is and how gratifying it can be and and exciting that you know you don't always know what's going to come your way so definitely learn to love the process so like Peter he says more money more problems i understand, <laughs> I understand. That's, that's what i got out of yeah. that that's what i got out of that. <laughs> <laughs> guys it, again you guys are amazing thank you so much for being on the show and continue uh, this gener- the next generation of Rodriguez insanity. So I appreciate you guys. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you, man. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for the yeah. time. I really thank appreciate you. it. I want to thank Racer and Rebel so, so much for their time and coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and experience with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 717. And don't forget to check out Spy Kids Armageddon on Netflix. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. 